0: This is Jocko Podcast number three ninety-five with Carrie Helton and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Kerry. Good evening. Also join us tonight, Leif Babin. Good evening, Leif. Good to be here. Echo still not here. Still. I guess people are getting worried. Look, not that they don't like Kerry Helton, but he's got that, you know, he's like the people's champion. You know? Absolutely. They like the Echo Charles. Echo Charles, man of the people. And so they're kind of wondering where he's at. Don't worry everybody. Echo will be back. He's he's on important strenuous business right now important important strenuous business right now in Hawaii In the meantime, let me tell you this The colonel expected the highest level of discipline from his first of the 506 soldiers He knew that slacking here even when just going to the chow hall for lunch could result in horrific wounds and death discipline in such a situation started with the little things High and tight haircuts, a clean shave every day, and uniforms maintained. With that, the more important things fell into place. Body armor and helmets worn outdoors at all times, and weapons cleaned and ready for use at a moment's notice. Discipline created vigilance and operational readiness, which translated to high performance and success on the battlefield. We sent Task Unit Bruiser Seals from Delta Platoon to live and work out of Camp Corregidor to train and combat advise Iraqi soldiers there and support the first of the 506 Band of Brothers. When the seal element arrived, they humbly took on the same habits as their first of the 506 hosts. Despite more relaxed grooming standards, seals typically enjoy elsewhere. The seals at Camp Corregidor cropped their hair short, shaved every day, and even donned the same ACU Army Combat Uniform camouflage of their Army counterparts. And that right there is a little excerpt from a book called Extreme Ownership, which was written by Leif and me. The That is from Chapter 4, Check Your Ego. And the reason we're pulling that quote today is not to talk about ego. Well, at least not initially, but more to talk about culture inside of an organization. The first of the 506 from the 101st Airborne is one of those units in the military that has an incredibly strong culture. When you work with them, you could absolutely recognize and feel the culture that they have. And there there are a lot of Military units that have a strong culture inside of of their organization and there's also civilian companies and businesses that have strong cultures inside of their organization I know that in tasking a bruiser we had a strong culture inside of tasking a bruiser You could say the same thing that we've got at echelon front the Marine Corps Carrie Yes, sir. How's the culture in the
1: Marine Corps report? It it is um one of the strongest cultures I've, I've ever experienced i i agree
0: i think that the marine corps has one of the strongest cultures in any organization in the world i know that's a bold statement but the marine corps has got a an extremely strong culture the seal team culture the seal teams actually has a very strong culture some of it good some of it not good you could say the same thing about the marine corps as well you could there's parts of any culture that can be negative in the seal teams we have some outstanding culture and we also have some culture that's that or that hurts us sometimes they're similar right um we don't have much doctrine in the seal team the culture is that you can kind of figure it out which is kind of good because it makes you very flexible but also there's times when it'd be nice if you had some doctrine there's a there's a culture in the SEAL teams of bending rules would you say that's an accurate statement Leif
2: definitely accurate
0: now when you went through buds did you guys say if you're not cheating you're not trying
2: yes that's a pretty common saying
0: and and did did your instructors reinforce that or did
2: they pull you back towards following the rules uh, I mean, if we 're in like a boku race mm-hmm. and uh, you got busted cheating, I mean you paid the man for that, uh, okay. certainly, so I think there there were folks um who tried to push that certainly and and um, you know i I, I think uh, I would say my instructors largely uh, tried to try to bash that out of us you know mm-hmm. like hey if you if you 're cheating on this you're not following the rules like we're going to drop a hammer on you yeah. so. and at the same time. You're only cheating yourself.
0: Yeah, well, we definitely got told you're only cheating yourself. The thing is, and I think I, I talked about this with Ben Ben Milligan for sure, from um, talking about from his book, By Water Beneath the Wa- Walls, worst title ever, Ben. Awesome book though. Probably one of the best, it actually is the best historical book about the SEAL teams, but the title, which I've been harassing Ben, and, ben about since I met him, and I actually harassed him about the title of each and every chapter that he's got, which is long. But what an incredible writer and what an incredible job he did on that. But that's one of those things where you can see where the culture comes from. And if you think about what your overall strategic goal as a special operations warrior is, we're gonna figure out a way to cheat against the enemy, right? Like you you wanna be able to, sneak up on the enemy, catch him when he's not looking, sucker punch him, deceive him in any way possible.
2: Never, never fight fair. Right,
0: never fight fair. These are these are all attitudes that make sense, they're part of our culture. And you can see where if you're looking, if you're actually looking for guys that have that kind of attitude, there's some, you know, you're borderline, you're borderline or you're brushing up against a criminal mindset, right? Which is, I'll break rules, I don't care and you kind of need some of that in a seal platoon if you have if every single person is a rule follower you're you're not going to be you're not going to be able to do your job at the highest level because everyone's going to look at a problem and they're only going to solve that problem within the rule set whatever that rule set might be maybe it's just the doctrine but there but if you have someone that says hey we're going to need to follow these freaking rules which you you are going to have in a seal platoon at least at least three guys that are like, why would we do it like that, let's do it this way. Let's cut this corner, let's figure out how to do this, let's trick them, let's deceive them, they're gonna cheat. So that's the type of thing where it's really good for your culture. That being said, when it, if, you, if you have a guy that now is supposed to be following the rules of a city or a state and, and he decides, look, I don't have to follow the rules. I'm a special operations dude. So I'm looking how to how I can get away from these rules. That culture needs to be reined in and you need to really kinda put some guardrails up around your culture. Same thing with the Marine Corps. I mean, can you imagine the Marine Corps in World War II, you're like, hey, we want you to kill everybody, which is what they were doing. You're going into Iwo Jima, what, what, what are your rules? Kill everybody then the war ends and now all of a sudden you're in mainland a mainland japan and you're doing basically security force operations which you know you can read about in eugene sledge china marine that's like you gotta you gotta be able to just pull that culture back from killing everyone to being a diplomat a warrior diplomat so things are good things are bad this is the, the culture the culture what i'm saying is actually is the culture will be strong culture is strong and if you don't have control over the culture it can it can definitely cause problems um you know throughout the book about face hackworth he he continually refers back to this unit that he worked with early in his um Early in his career. And he says this in About Face. For the next four years, I learned my trade, one year with the Recon Company of the Tank Battalion in the Poe Valley, and three more with Tri- Trieste United States Troop Trust, the illustrious unit whose five thousand hand picked members Walter Wichell called, quote, the chrome plated soldiers of Europe. End quote. We worked hard during those years long merciless days of training repeating 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 until we got it right Our transformation into soldiers inspired and monitored by those battle-savvy NCOs who well knew that discipline and tactical proficiency on the battlefield were direct results of discipline and combat skills instilled on the parade and training grounds. At night it was down on our hands and knees, all of us hand waxing the barracks floors until we had enough money to chip in and buy a buffer. You could eat off those floors, just as you could almost be blinded by the brass belt buckles and brown boots that each of us wore polished every night to a dazzling finish. The only way out of these activities was sick call, but rarely was it used as, as an excuse. It took as much effort to see the dock. You had to strip your bed, cram your perfectly pressed clothes into a duffel bag, see the supply sergeant, and then the first sergeant, not to mention the lion's share of the month's pay you'd spend having, to re, having clothes repressed when you came back, as it did to continue on with the normal routine. Punishment was meted out by a process known as NCO justice. And if I ever create another hardcore band, I might call it NCO Justice. For crimes such as a uniform of less than starched perfection, a bed that didn't bounce a quarter, or even a mildly insubordinate smirk, the sentence could, the sentence could range from 50 pushups to double, pine, double timing around the parade field, holding a 9.5 pound M1 rifle over your head, yelling, I'm a shithead, I'm a shithead, until you collapsed. General of the Army George Catlett Marshall once said morale is a state of mind It is stead it is steadfastness and courage and hope confidence and zeal and loyalty esprit de corps and determination Morale he said is staying power the spirit which endures to the end the will to win these words could have been the motto of the 15th tank and for that matter all of trust a command that really did live 20 regular army years behind the times. So you can see when you've got a unit like that, everybody, I mean, he was a private soldier at the time, you know, Hackworth, and he knew what he was doing. He knew what the standard was, he knew how he was supposed to act. That's a culture. And you get culture in the civilian sector too. Um, Tesla. What's the culture at Tesla? Dudes are sleeping on the floor, right? Like you're you're working 22 hour days. Remember when Elon Musk went bought Twitter? He and he got rid of, what, two thirds of the staff? Something like this? Two thirds of the staff later. It might have even been more, it might have been three quarters of the staff. I
2: think it was 80% of the okay. employees.
0: Yeah, so he was get, getting rid of people. And then I remember seeing a picture on Twitter, and he had like this core group left, and it was two o'clock in the morning, and they were grinding it out. And he was basically like, yeah, the culture just changed from, and everyone, the culture was, remember that video that floated around some girl? She was like, did you know, work day at Twitter, and it was like her getting a cup of coffee, then her sitting in a lounger, then her getting a massage, then her, like it was just this whole day of leisure, basically. And it was like, oh, I have a meeting now. And then in the meeting they were, you know, uh, laughing and joking around. And then it goes to Musk in, in two o'clock in the morning and they're all freaking grinding. And eating like they're eating a midnight pizza, so they can work more. There's a culture shift. The culture shift can happen, right? And he did that culture shift there with like a with like a baseball bat. Um, Tesla, SpaceX, like that's the that's what you hear about those places. You're gonna get if you want to go work there. You're you're gonna you're gonna get after it in a big way. That's the culture. Apple, you know, culture of innovation. So. You end up with culture inside these organizations, and the culture that you have is just so, so powerful. The culture is going to be stronger than the leader over time, but it's the leader that can set that culture in motion. And yet, and I've told many companies and organizations this who's responsible for culture inside of an organization? Everybody. Because if you have the e5 mafia they can their culture can overpower the culture of the boss the the mid mid-level managers if they've got like a strong culture within the mid-level managers they can overpower the more senior managers just their culture is stronger if it's good that can be great if their culture is bad pfft, it can it, it it's going to be a problem so you know we were just thinking about um what do we do with culture how do we set culture how do we make it happen how do you establish a good culture because ultimately and this is this is something we've been talking about at echelon front a lot is culture is the ultimate form of decentralized command and if somebody is part of a culture a strong culture inside of an organization they know what they need to do they understand what the what the mission is and what they understand who they are what they're doing, how they're doing it. You understand all those things from culture, which is which is a pretty crazy thing. I wrote that down somewhere. I wrote this earlier. I took a note. Culture is who you are, what you are, what you do, and how you do it. Well, I never thought of that before, but I was trying to think of like what specifically is culture. It's who you are, it's what you are, it's what you do, and it's how you do it. That's what culture is. It's those things right there. Again, this is a my thought today maybe somebody will expand on it maybe I'm wrong but it seems like a pretty good pretty good thing right this is who we are this is what we do this is how we're doing it that's a legit legit statement Um, so let's talk about it a little bit how do you how do you how do you establish culture and I think the number one thing number one thing out of the gate is, is set the example L- like what example are you setting we just talked about Elon Musk He's working at two o'clock in the morning alongside his people. He's remember when he was some. There was something wrong. I think at Tesla or SpaceX, and they were they had pictures of him. He's just sleeping in his office on the floor. That's the culture. That's the culture that he set. We're going to work hard. So the culture that you set, the way that you act, the example that you you fall under is the way it's going to be. So when I got to Team One. Oh, you're, you want to know when that was, Kerry? When was that? Oh, job? that was back in the day. <laughs> so when I got to Team One as a young kid, I show up there, and the culture was so uh, strong at SEAL Team One, and the, it was a culture of sort of extreme professionalism. Now, was it was it extreme professionalism compared to the Marine Corps? No, it was not. Was it extreme professionalism compared to the? Kind of compared to the regular navy, it was like, yeah, we kind of were on board or or could compete with the professionalism of the regular navy, and we certainly were more more professional in our uniforms and haircuts and all that stuff was than say team five down the street or team three down the street as well. It was, it was this was a well known thing. You saw that when you got there. You saw like all the senior people. All the, all the chiefs and the senior chiefs, they all freaking look squared away. Uh, what was it like when you checked into Team Five, Leif? What'd you have going on there? Which was what, 19, what was it, 2000? and?
2: I checked in uh, into Team Five in August
0: 2003. Yeah, so, you, yeah, so the culture, look, there's still some of the culture, but as, as Admiral Richards explained when he came on the podcast, around 2000 they started an initiative which made all the teams pretty much have the same mission around the world. Back in the day, the the teams all had their own; they were geographically assigned. So, back in the day, I was at SEAL Team One, and our area of operations was Southeast Asia, Nam. Now it was 1990, which you know just didn't meant we were going to like Thailand. And uh, SEAL Team Three was Southwest Asia, so they had the desert. And then SEAL Team Five was, I guess, North East Asia because they were the 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 cold weather Korea guys. And you all had different assignments. And then you you got to like stay at a SEAL team for a long time. Like there was guys that were at SEAL Team One that had been there for like fifteen years, twelve years. It was it was no big deal for a guy to be at Team One for. For 10 years, you just, oh, yeah, I'm at team one. Oh, when would you get here? Like, oh, 1974. <laughs> You're like, hey, that's awesome. <laughs> then they made, so, so you had the teams were, they were more separate. And because you could homestead at a team and those people that set the examples were there for a long period of time, it, the cultures at each one of the teams was very different. So, but when you got to team five, 2003, so that only happened in 2000 and then it it actually started to fully take place in 2001. So when you got to team five, team five still had the reputation of like, hey, we're laid back. We're, we're team guys. We don't really have to comply with. Yeah, but
2: by laid back, I think, uh, I mean, they were. Team Five certainly had the reputation of uh, partying hard and, and <clears throat> I mean, work, working hard, but certainly playing hard um, uh, and pl- maybe playing harder than the other teams down the street. Uh, originally, I had orders to seal Team one uh, out of butts, and uh, or at least that was what I was going to get. And because of the rotation cycle, they rejected you. <laughs> exactly. I didn't, I didn't make the cut. No, but the, the because of the rotation cycle, I was going to jump right into a uh, platoon commander tour. Yeah. Like I would have missed. I And I was already oh, a lieutenant. So yeah. I would have missed having an assistant platoon commander tour um, under my belt, which I didn't want to do. And luckily I had some, some friends that pulled some strings for me. Um, and, and uh, over team five, they're like, yeah, come on over here. We'll, we'll get you in. We'll plug you in. So they were just starting their workup cycle. Mm-hmm. So as I showed up, the first guys were coming back from the Iraq War, uh, from SEAL Team Five. They were just getting back. They got back September of two thousand three. I turned over which with you turned over with, yeah. So that, that was, but there was still very much there was. It was Stalag One, you know. It yeah. was the uh, definitely like it, it still kind of had that reputation, even For though that sure. was, sort, was sort. It was sort. It was definitely starting to uh, dissipate a little bit, um, but then you know I, I think certainly there was some real pride in team five of like, Hey, we get after on the battlefield, but there was definitely a reputation for, uh, um, yeah, the, the, the squared away haircuts and uniforms, <laughs> it was the opposite of that. Certainly a lot of visors and, uh, cut up uniforms and, yeah. and w- however we can not look military was, uh,
0: one, one of my, certainly the case one of my, uh, one of my best friends that I checked it that I went through buds with and then checked into team one with and you, you know who He is he's like just a complete um, Just a just like a Viking freaking warrior dude that if you could he's like he's on the list if you're going to war He's on the list like he's 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 on the list hundred percent and everybody knows like he's just a savage and We showed up and we were going on our first run at Seal Team 1 and he and he came walking out with a visor on and Master Chief Master Chief Faculty, walks up to him and is just like if I ever see you with a visor again I'm sending you to the fleet <laughs> I mean we just graduated buds bro <laughs> no there was no in brief it was like hey we are doing a whatever it was the the Coronado run it's like a 7 mile run we roll out there first big run with the t- you know now you're at a team and we're all fired up and this this friend of mine rolls out with that visor on, the green faded visor, and Master Chief just walks over to him and is like, "If I see you with a visor again, I'm sending you to the fleet." And I was like, "God, okay." So there you go. We also had this when you're when you're. It's weird how you like what you just said. You're at Team Five, and you're like, "Oh, this is our thing," and you get told that, and you're like, "Okay, that's that's you take on that that culture almost immediately." Like, it, it's, you can watch it happen. Like, that happened with my buddy, and I was like, okay, cool, visors are lame. Visors are weak, like, th- we don't wear those. That was part of it. There was also this, some of the older guys would say, team, team one, it's not just a number, it's an attitude. And you'd be like, yo, we're one, we're one. You know, what, next question. Of course, we're one, number one. That's us, that's our attitude. We're number one. And you hear that and you're 19 years old and you're like, well, obviously this is what we're doing. You know, this is what is happening. (laughs) So that example that you see, and when you're in a, when you're part of an organization, that's the number one thing you do. That's the number one thing you do to start establishing culture is you have to set the example that you believe the culture should be. And you know this is this is what I saw with um, when I got to Team One, and even what you're saying, like you got to Team Five, and it was like things are a little bit loose. We're gonna work really hard, but we're not, you know, getting dressed up. We don't have to do this dumb shit. We're not doing this chicken shit stuff. We're we're freaking badass team guys. Okay, that, that's your attitude. That's what you're doing. So certainly, um, setting the example is important. You got to remember that people are watching you. Uh, establishing who you are. And there's a couple different ways to do that. You know, one of them clearly is the, is the one of the many, 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 many things I stole from, from Hackworth, which is naming, giving your, giving your team a name. And I, I can't tell you how many construction companies I've worked with now, and sales teams, and they've taken this, and they've named their sales team, and they've named their, their construction shift. Like that's, this is very common. And it freaking works. So Hackworth in the Korean War, he took over, Fox Trot, or Fox Company changed it to Fighter Company. Gets to Vietnam Battalion Commander, he takes over the, the Hopeless, and changes it to the Hardcore. Um, that, and then you know, when I took over Task Unit Bravo, which is a lame name but changed it to Bruiser. And and it's funny because that's not an official thing. Oh well, it it wasn't an official thing, but it sure is official now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can see it in, you know, when we talk to the people that are still in the seal teams, they they talk about it. That's the way it is. That's what it was. Pretty neat. Just
2: established. What's what's well, what's funny about that? I was uh, I was just reviewing my copy of About Face which is uh which you gave to me as tasking a bruiser you know went our separate ways when we came back from Ramadi and you know in the fall of two thousand and six, and uh you didn't like you just handed me a copy of it, and i had you I had you write in it, and uh it just says to snow from j k o and the <laughs> end of the day it was like Jan, it's January two thousand and seven so but what's awesome about that is, as I was reading through that book that's the first time that I, I even, I realized like, okay, where, where this thing came from, you know, is this this new identity that, that uh, Hackworth had given his units, you know, with the fighter company and the, the hardcore Ricondos. Um, I, I think it's, and so at the time, I remember when we're like, hey, we're tasking a bruiser. And, <laughs> and it was.
0: Do you see how Leif's voice changed when he said that? He just stepped up next level. But you, you
2: said that and we're like, I mean, when I first heard that, it was, it was kind of like, it it wasn't even uh, it, it wasn't like a people weren't like oh oh we're tasking a bruiser you know it, it was it instantly you you're like tasking a bruiser okay it, it gave us an identity and uh and it was something that just instantly we stood apart from everybody else and uh i think it's the genius of that it was something that at the time like i didn't really give it a lot of thought i was like okay cool we're tasking a bruiser like whatever you know but then as it it very quickly became like we're freaking tasking a bruiser. Yeah. Like, oh, they're tasking to Alpha, they're tasking to Charlie, we're tasking a bruiser. Yeah.
0: And you'd get yeah. like the skipper would be like, oh, the bruiser guys are gonna come down like that. They, they would say those kind of things and you'd be like, yeah, exactly. The bruiser guys are coming down, that's what's happening. It, it, I just thought of this, going back to that example thing real quick, I remember talking to General Mukayama and he's talking about how when Hackworth showed up and I was asking him like, oh, did, 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 did you guys know who he was? He's like, yeah, everybody knew who he was. And then he says, Yeah, he walks in and he's like high and tight, a high and tight haircut. His uniform is just impeccable. He's got that look on his face. He's lean, he's strong, and you could just tell. And you're like, Bro. And this is Hackworth. And the funny thing is, like, you look at pictures of Hackworth, he's a pretty slight dude, you know? But he just presented himself in a way, he set the example. He wasn't even in a
2: battalion at that time. He was just setting that example. Well, that was uh that was pretty, you, you followed that model pretty well, man. Cause, <laughs> Cause when you, you came over being the Admiral's aid. And so we had all kind of formed up and been together for a couple weeks, you know, and, and you know, Seth Stone and I, the Del particular man, hair were good friends. We've been through buds together. Like, you know, we'd, we 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 uh, we'd known each other, you know, for for several years at that point. And I was excited to work with Seth, but we got long. You know, like our hair. It, it wasn't that our hair was like we had haircuts, but we did. We definitely didn't have shaved heads, that's for sure. <laughs> and then you know, when you showed up with this like just straight up axe murderer look, but your uniform was immaculate. square you know, your your head was shaved and you just like glared at everyone and didn't really say anything. And, uh, you know, and, and when we met you, you were like, I'm Jocko, like squeezed our hand, you know, and, and, and didn't say anything. And it was, but it, it definitely set the tone right away of like, Oh, this guy scored away. Oh, this guy's got a shaved head. This guy has a squared away uniform. And, uh, and you never like, Hey, this is what we're going to look like. But you, you, you certainly brought that example in. And then, so when it became tasking a bruiser, it was, um, it, it, imne- it immediately gave us, like, we're unique. We're unique, we're different from everybody else. We're, we're different. And, and certainly that can be in a bad way, oh, you yeah. know, if, if you the culture went that. went that <clears throat> direction. But for us, it meant like, hey, yeah. we're gonna, we're unique, we're special, like, oh, we're, it's, it's too hard for everybody else. Like we're good. We're tasking a bruiser. We're going to work harder. We're going to come in early. We're going to stay late. We're going to make things happen. You know, it's, uh, and it just started to immediately establish that culture. And, and you, you, you lived that. I mean, it was, I just remember you totally standing out from every, we had a formation behind seal team three. So it was the whole teams formed up. The first time the team's actually getting together, people are coming in you know, from different units and and it was, I'd never, I'd never seen you before. I'd, I'd heard about you and we certainly knew of your reputation, but you instantly looked different than every other <laughs> seal back there, uh, just with a shaved head and squared away uniform. And I was like, check.
0: I can tell you, I was, when I was at seal team one, I put in for the Seaman on admiral package and I didn't get picked up. And then the other, there was a, the first class got picked up and Shortly after they got picked up, they went to OCS, and then one of those officers that was a SEAL, an East Coast SEAL, he went to OCS, and then he came out to the West Coast to Team One. So now I'm an E5 at Team One, and this ensign shows up from the from the Seaman Animal Program, and I was looking at him going, "Dude, what is going on with this guy's freaking uniform?" He looked one he looked one hundred percent, one hundred percent next level squared away. And I didn't I didn't know what was happening, but you could you if you stood him same thing, like if you put him in a line with ten other officers and you said, which one of these guys do you want to, you know, are you gonna put your trust in? You'd be look at him and you go, I think this guy over here, he looks freaking squared away. And then I went to officer candidate school and that's where that's where he learned to do that. And the freaking uniform inspections are so psycho down there. Like you wear those shirt stay things and did you wear shirt stays? Yeah, you wear these shirt stay things and you tuck everything in and you everything's tight and you it's ridiculous. But damn, you look freaking squared away. And and then so anyways, that's where that's where I definitely got at OCS and you know, you you went to you probably got, you know, I guess you might have gotten some uniform inspections in buds, but those aren't real uniform inspections at least in my opinion. Yeah, are you diff- you differing opinion?
2: Well, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time having uniform inspections through four years of the navy. Well, that's academy. what I was going to say. Yeah. You,
0: you were, you were, you did four years of the yeah. naval academy doing uniform inspections, but then you went to the fleet.
2: Dude, are out there and you're our uniforms were immaculate, the buds. Man, I'm talking like oh, okay. like boot shine, like totally pressed, like you know the the grease uniforms. Yeah, and, uh, totally dialed. Um, and and. I passed every single one of those and I got hammered every single time because I was the class O I C. Of course. <laughs> so it's one one person fails, which they always do. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um and I thought of a funny story too. When I when I took over a platoon at SEAL Team Seven, the the assistant platoon commander, so he he was working for another guy, now he's working for me. And, you know, we're having like our first conversation. <laughs> and he's a great dude. Uh, but, you know, we don't know each other, so He's like, hey, is there anything I, you know, we're like wrapping up at the end of the, I, at, at the end of our first day working together, and he's like, uh, is there anything else I need to do? And I was like, yeah, go get a haircut, and he goes, I, I, I just got a haircut, and I said, like mine. <laughs> so he said, Roger that. Uh, good times. What, what,
2: I think what really stands out to me though is like, it, you know, not only did you, you demonstrated this through, through. um uh, by setting the standard yourself but it, what it started for me and what it started for seth stone and i think for a lot of us in tasking and bruiser was was what we thought was cool mm-hmm. you know in, in the seal teams like like at SEAL Team healthy what i thought was cool is the guys that like yeah man that guy's kind of like hey that guy's an awesome operator you know and but yeah he might have got arrested on the weekends but who cares like he's a you know he's an awesome operator and that's what you you want to be and who cares if his, if his uniform's not squared away and his hair is messed up, like we kind of take, take pride in that. And I think what it started to do was that the, the professionalism of like, oh, it's actually cool to be squared away. It's actually cool to have a squared away looking uniform. It's actually cool to be the most squared away looking guy in the entire formation and to have your head shaved and you stand out apart from everybody else. Um, And so that started to kind of change my mind uh, of, And I didn't even realize it at the time, you know, because because we're just meeting you for the first time and just FYI, everybody.
0: This is not to say that you should not be freaking the hardest operator that you can possibly be. By all means, this isn't like the because there's dudes that are super admin freaking dorks, garrison freaking warriors, right? That are super squared away, but they suck as being seals. So that's not what we're talking about at all.
2: No, I'm saying what what it was, was we're talking about both. We're talking yeah. about like, Hey, yeah. we,
0: we want to be, they're not mutually exclusive at all.
2: We want to, and, and I hadn't, I didn't see it that way. Cause it almost seemed cool to make it mutually exclusive instead of looking at it as like, Hey, no, we want to be the most awesome badass operators we can be on the battlefield and train ourselves for the worst case scenario. And in garrison, we want to be squared away. We want to have shaved heads. We want to have, unif- you know, we want to, we want to, we want to be professional and, we wanna be as professional and square to as we can possibly be in both arenas. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's definitely a different mindset,
0: but it's real easy to see. It's real easy to see the difference. And you take, if you take people that aren't focused on that, and look, there's plenty of SEALs that are freaking awesome, but they just didn't never focus on that. No one ever told them like, hey, I'm gonna send you to the fleet if you wear a visor. I got told that, <laughs> or my buddy got told that. It's like, so we were focused on that. And then, you know, you start to just see it that way. And if you didn't get that, you wouldn't ever look at it. It's just one of those things, if you're not paying attention to it, you're not paying attention to it. So it's not like some other seal at team three at the time was a bad person. They didn't even think about their uniform. They didn't even think about it. It wasn't even a thing. They're like, oh yeah, I put my boots on. Oh, it doesn't really matter what they look like. Or they're just not thinking about it at the time. But when you think about it, and you know, it's not like we're competing against the uniforms or the squared away uniforms of the Marine Corps, because like they would win. Like you can't put there's no SEAL platoon that could beat a Marine platoon in an inspection of any kind. Like we just it's just not possible. But if you're even leaning in that direction, you could do pretty good against the other SEAL platoons. Cause that's just <laughs> the bar's <laughs> low. The bar's pretty low. That's like when uh when SEALs have to do some kind of close order ceremonial drill, they do whatever they can to minimize it as much as possible. Like, okay, if we're gonna go out prior to and be standing in formation where we need to be, because if we have to march out there, it's gonna be a disaster. So we'll all just go out there and stand for an extra half an hour, so that way we don't have to march out there. Um, So, there you go. Establish who you are. The other thing that I was gonna say and this is this is a there's a little bit of risk involved here, but coming up with some kind of values out of the gate, coming up with some kind of mantra out of the gate, is something that you can do. And actually, I wish I had this Stoner to this when Stoner took over uh, the task unit, and he didn't really. I I can't say, and he would he would refuse to say that he took over tasking unit bruiser because he's like we're not tasking a bruiser, we're not because they. Split up a bunch of the guys, and he really only had the remnants of Task Unit Bruiser. So, he he just ended up taking over a position of being in a task unit, but he wrote out like this is what we're doing, and he had it on his he had it pinned up, and I was like freaking legit. I quite frankly, I think that my personality conveyed all that shit that he had written down. Like it just conveyed it, but when I saw that. I was like, "It's freaking squared away, dude. Nicely done." He had the he had made little letterhead. You know, Stoner. He'd get all crazy. He'd made little little task unit two because I think they had changed to the number system or something. Task unit two, you know, uh, whatever values and focus. And then it said, "You know, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this." And it was like, "We're going to train harder than anybody else." It's like all the normal stuff, but he had written it out, so it made it perfectly clear. So that is something that you can do. The only risk of it is, is if you roll into somewhere and now you're just from the top creating values and imposing them on everybody. There's, it's, it's going to have a better, it's going to, it's going to gain more traction if it evolves over time, if it comes more organically from the troops themselves. And even Hackworth, you know, taking over the 439th, it was like, we're going to change small things. He, he changed little things at a time. He didn't go in like, here's the way it's going to be now. He, you know, he did say like, okay, anything you can't freaking travel with in a rucksack, we're getting rid of it. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? That was one step. And eventually it's like, yeah, we travel light, you know? So, so you gotta, you gotta think about that. You gotta think to the extent of which you do that. And I would say probably a good compromise or a good move would be to set out some sort of minimum aspirational ideas, like we're gonna work hard. Like something that people aren't really gonna be able to argue with without being super detailed. Because even if I, you know, if I said, all right, listen, we're gonna be, we're gonna look squared away and inspection ready. I can't, ima- if I would've, t- if that would've been my leading like idea, I wouldn't have liked me. You know what I mean? When I was in E I would've been like, what's this guy talking about, dude? We're freaking seals, we're operators. Like who cares what we look like? So, but if it would have said, hey, we're going to work hard and we're going to be exceptional at our jobs, you're like, I can get on board with that. So I think if you're going to set up some values like that out of the gate or some kind of a mantra, and the mantra is another thing. The mantra is something that can come, it's better off coming organically. And so you end up with something like BTF. You know, you end up with something like Semper Fi. You end up with uh, never quit you end up with something that comes organically. BTF's a good one. Like that was just Tony just started saying it, but it became BTF BTF yeah, BTF. BTF. Just, yeah, big tough frog man, meaning it's an ad, it's an adjective. Yeah, this guy's a big it's a noun. This guy's a big tough frog man. It's a it's a verb. We're going to BTF. It's a a motivational chant, you know. BTF BTF BTF. So, but it just came organically. But and yet it answered so many questions it, it, it was part of the culture because the culture is hey guys Should we do another immediate action drill in the 120 degree heat? Or should we call it a day? We all know the answer to that the answer is BTF. The answer is just we know what we're doing. It's BTF That's what we're gonna do should we Should I say that I'm hot right now and I and I and it's very sweaty and I, and I feel like it's too warm out or should I just not say anything? It's like, oh, I'm gonna BTF. Should when I'm freezing cold say like, hey guys, I'm cold. Um, can I get in the humvee and, and wait until we hit the target before I go outside? or should I just BTF?
2: The answer is you're just gonna BTF. But back to your you know your open discussion about like if you're not che- you're not trying and how that can become part of the culture. I mean that was very prevalent when I joined the seal teams like people were debating about like you know the 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 old school years you know from the nineties of like hey, we're gonna do the you know uh uh we're gonna we're gonna drop you off for the fourteen you know kilometer patrol in like hey, we roll up in vehicles now, we don't need to do that stuff anymore um and there was a real there was an attitude of some people in the teams that like hey, we don't need to do that like hey, you know what hey we'll just we'll just uh We'll just have a, you know, we'll just virtually say we foot patrolled in, and then you'll drop us off at this point here, and we'll we'll go hit in 500 yards. We'll go hit the, hit the so we'll cut down what should be a two and a half kilometer patrol into you know the last 500 meters,
0: or or a ten and a half kilometer, yeah. kilometer patrol.
2: Yeah, and, and so and we weren't even doing that kind of stuff just because of the the. Largely urban focused combat of of Iraq. Um, I don't don't think I ever did a ten and a half uh, Kilometer patrol in but we were doing two or three kilometer patrols and over some rugged terrain certainly But guys were cutting that down to where they were like, no, no, we're just gonna we're just gonna on the X Yeah, we'll we'll just we'll just get dropped off right there and and it was I think for you know BTF answered that to say like hey, um, you don't foresee a situation where we might have to foot patrol. And ironically, it was you know, you you right away were like there was no, you know, for you for Tony, like for the the culture in the task unit was like, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna ask for breaks. Why? Because we we may actually have to foot patrol in. And ironically, when we deployed to Ramadi, it was so freaking dangerous to drive on these roads. I mean, 80% of US cash is being inflicted by IEDs or roadside bombs. So we would we would drive to the nearest you know safest roads we could get to like the nearest combat outpost the, the, and then we would foot patrol into these areas because you couldn't drive into them. so so we did a hell of a lot of foot patrolling all the time carrying a ton of weight on our backs and if we hadn't have done that um, we wouldn't have been prepared for it so um, and in fact even still, I don't think I was as prepared as I as, as I should have been because the first patrol I went out with the Marines was uh, just kicked my ass on that patrol trying to you know carry the gear i needed in water and ammo and stuff for 48 hours you know in, in around firecracker circle up there with lima company 38 marines so i think those but that that btf mantra you know was like yeah we're not gonna we're not looking to cut corners we're looking to train hard we're looking to push the standards higher and that was part of that unique identity of being being task unit bruiser mm-hmm. we're different than everybody else we're not we we're going to push the standards Harder. Oh, they 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 wanted to get dropped off near the target. We don't we actually can we get dropped <laughs> off further away? So that we we could actually train ourselves and push ourselves harder,
0: dude I went to a couple
2: debriefs
0: with trade at so at the end of a training block We would go to trade at and trade at would debrief the skipper and us on like performance and But before that we would debrief trade Et on like how the training was And what you know, what could be better, and what could could be improved. (laughs) And like, I'd go in there, and unfortunately, like, especially one of the other task units would be like there when they'd say, "Well, they'd give their feedback, and it would be like literally, it would be, you know, there's no there's no Wi-Fi hotspot at the thing, and we need better." like access to hydration, you know, after our IAD drills and you know, also we thought it was a little bit too strenuous to work late and then get our mission taskings early in the morning. Like they would unfortunately legitimately give those feedback points and they'd get to me and I'd be like, it was outstanding. You know, it would, everything that they complained about, they would maybe think I was gonna double down but I couldn't do that because I didn't feel that way at all. I felt like, yes, work us until late. We will get up in early in the morning for mission tasking. Of course, that's what we're gonna do. So uh, what's the correct answer? The correct answer is good to go. <laughs> we're freaking
2: good to go. But you, you did that from a detached position of like, well, what does that look like strategically? <sighs> what does this look like strategically? And I think that, that to me was, you know, when I think about the culture of tasking a bruiser, um, you know, even the the appearance, we were talking about uniforms being squared away. That to me is like, we took pride in, you know, SEALs take pride in wearing whatever kind of crazy uniforms you've talked about it a ton on the podcast here. Hey, we are gonna wear off the shelf camouflage. And some guys have woodland tops and desert bottoms on. And I've always thought in the book,
0: in the book, Blood Meridian, they talk about the Comanches and the Comanches are out just like killing and stealing and and so cormac mccarthy rest in peace he just he just passed just, away, just right? passed away never got to talk to him but he's like describing them as they're approaching and it just it sounds like a seal platoon like people are wearing like top hats and this guy's wearing like a dress and this guy's wearing like a vest and this guy's wearing, like a, this guy's wearing a cowboy hat and they just all look freaking crazy and different. And when I, when I, whenever I'd read that, I'd be like, oh, "That's basic tune right there." <laughs> Basically, that's what you get. You know, like I'm gonna wear jeans. I'm gonna wear a freaking whatever. Just, just whatever random. I got, got a new Cabela's, you know, uh, cami shirt, and plus I got some, you know, old Vietnam whatever. And they're just going down the list of what random stuff they're wearing. So yeah, it gets pretty wild. And that's it.
2: And that's we almost took we took pride in that. Hey, as long as we're able to go and perform on the axe and you know accomplish our mission, like. Who cares? In fact, you almost take pride in how crazy he looks. So when you you approached us in tasking a bruiser about like uh, about this issue and uh, about like, hey, sh- should we try to look uniform? And, and so in, in the in and in, in how that came about was like when, when you first kind of brought the subject up like, hey, be, you know, let's let's all try to look uniform. Seth Stoner, i thought you were totally insane but i was i was like this is totally crazy you know we were new guys at one platoon and you know under our belt um you know as the platoon commanders though, but like there was massive pushback inside the platoon like what do you mean we have to i have to set up my op gear that looks like everybody else and charlie platoon has to look like dealt what are you talking about this is insane so we actually we came to you i remember this conversation well in your office this is like during the workup cycle, we came to you in your office, uh, up there in the Seal Team Three headquarters, with the little mm-hmm. task unit office, and and we're like, hey, we we both like had talked about it, like let's go set Jocko straight. Now, I mean, it, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't that we were going to upset you straight, but like, hey, let's go, let's go. Pushback against yeah, straight We're going well, to obviously push there's back some back, things that I understand. Like, up, this from my doesn't make sense. Yeah. We're getting a lot let's of pushback, go. so we think we're like hey, we're to take care of our team. And so we walk in there and talk to you about that. <laughs> and you're you just asked us a question you're like how freaking cool would it be if we all look like stormtroopers if everybody looks the same everyone looks exactly the same and when you said that to me i was i was like that would be freaking cool
0: <laughs> yeah especially it's like hey you know what the other task units look like right well, yeah you know how they all look all like a bunch of comanches running around yeah imagine if we all are completely uniformed we all look the same like stormtroopers.
2: <laughs> that was pretty Wouldn't much That would be cool. That was pretty much how you said it. And what was in, what was interesting to me there is like in about a 30 second Question that you asked and it wasn't you were like demanding that we do that. You simply asked us the question which allowed us to Reveal the truth to ourselves uh, So stoner and I left there like this is freaking awesome. We're all gonna look the same It's gonna be different from everybody and it, 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 it gave us that unique culture and when we put it out that way to the team it wasn't like, hey, jocko you know, saying this. It was like, hey, this is the way, how awesome is this gonna be? And it was, and people took and ran with that. And it was, it was outstanding. Yeah, there was also a, uh, wanting to be able to PID and not
0: wanting to be mistaken as a Mujahideen fighter is a huge part of that as well. And also now that we're talking about uniforms, I remember, uh, I, I think it was Stoner that was wearing like one of those like Mujahideen scarfs.
2: What are those things called? In Iraq, they call them the kafia, but what what do we we call them a uh, shemagh? Shemagh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: we get out to our desert training place and here comes stoner rolling up and he's got one of those things on. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh, are you (laughs) mooge? And he's like, no. And I go, fuck, you wearing that scarf for? (laughs) And he just like took it off and was like, check. He took it off and never wore it again. (laughs)
2: And uh, I think we all got the word on that too, because no one in Tashkina Brunswick wore those things. But what was, what really stood out to me on that is like, it it made it cool. Like it, it made it cool to be like, Hey, we want to look all the same because that's going to set us apart from everybody else. It's going to, we're going to look professional. And, uh, and it, it just like, it it was, it was instantaneous for us to, to, to take that from like, Hey, we think it's cool to all look different and do different stuff. And to look like just a bunch of renegades out there that don't look military to like, Hey, we actually look military. Hey, we're part of a gang. This is what we are. So watch out <laughs> this is how we roll and bruiser now we did take that to an excessive level when we spray painted punisher skulls all on our uh, <laughs> on every single vehicle and, and uh was who, who the a general came out to, to see us was it was it uh, i think it was general brown oh, yeah i think it was him and he, you were like take this off
0: no it must have been yeah. earlier than general brown because general brown came out pretty late uh i don't know who it was but to me it was pid like it was PID, you know, this is like not a good thing where you're rolling around and you're advertising like, hey, this is us, here's our mark. Um,
2: it did look cool though. It did, it looked really cool and there had been a lot of time and effort on, you know, every every single like uh, gun truck had the Punisher <laughs> yeah. skulls on them. So, but then we just we just put them on our uniforms.
0: Yeah, so yeah. It worked y- out. The stencil
2: still came in handy. We took it off. We took it off helmets and we took it off the
0: uh, the Humvees. Yeah, it's freaking legit. And you know, that's one of those things where you know, as I'm, you, you, hey, so looks looks fine. I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? It's like it's one of those things where do you where do you hold the line and where do you let it slide? And it's like. Hey man, we got a badass bunch of troopers here, and this is actually a uniform now, so we're gonna roll with it. <laughs> and it's also a lot harder to identify,
2: like a like a vehicle. It's pretty obvious what that is. Um, I, I think though the questions we get from you know from from leaders, and we were just talking with a bunch of leaders up at the council about this, you know, about how you set culture for the team, and um, you know, we we had some uh, some leaders of uh, some some fairly big construction companies up there that were talking about like, hey, how do I get my people to have their job site squared away, you know, or, or make sure they all have safety gear or to make sure that the, the trucks are cleaned out at the end of the day. And I was telling them about that. We were using this as an example of like, you gotta make it cool, you gotta make it cool. Hey, think about what everybody else look like. The question you just asked, what does everybody else look like? You know, they've got stuff, you know, it's not squared away, they don't have, you know, they, they, they don't all look uniform, there's trash laying on the job site. Wouldn't it be cool? if, how, how badass would it be if, if you showed up on our job site and it instantly looks different than everybody else. It instantly looks squared away. It instantly looks free. Like you're like, Dave, these guys are professional. These guys are freaking awesome. And I think when you threw that out there, it it just, it creates that culture where you don't have to go around and tell people to square their uniforms away because we're all doing it because, hey, you, you got to look like everybody else. Why? Because it's important. We got to look professional so that we can go out on the battlefield and actually have an impact close with and destroy the enemy. Um, and we're going to do that all looking like a bunch of stormtroopers. They all look the, the exact same, That I can go out there and have a, a huge impact. So um, I, I think that's as leaders trying to set culture for the team. You got to make that we're unique. We're special. We got a different identity we're going to outperform everybody else. Uh, and that matters. And if you make that something cool that people are striving to do, then you've got a team of people that are holding themselves accountable and you got that like peer pressure to like get squared away and get on board with the standard so that everybody goes out and kicks ass and outperforms the other teams out there.
0: Yeah. The, the gang polices itself, you know, once you have those standards set, the gang polices itself, they don't let no, no slack occur. Um, then when it comes to that you know the the behavior of other people when you're trying to establish culture establishing culture that means you reward behavior that is within the culture and you Punish or at least mitigate behavior that's not within the culture. So you know you use carrots and sticks basically, and you know we prefer to use carrots, right? We prefer when somebody does something that's super squared away. That's what we prefer to focus on. We don't want to go like, oh, you're, sp- you, you, you need to wear a different uniform. Like like you said, I didn't really do that, but the E5 Mafia would tighten some, tighten some fools up. That's for sure, <laughs> but. Just carrots and sticks, and so if you're in an organization and someone does something, they, you know, you have a, you, you're, you're the the client, the the customer's always right. Great, okay, cool. customer's always right. Well, when one of those cashiers goes out of his way to, you know, take care of a customer that was having an issue and they needed help carrying stuff to the car, so they locked up the register and went and carried the stuff to the car and took care of the customer and whatever, like, then you you reward that person. And you tell that story so people understand that they will be rewarded for these behaviors that support our culture that we have. And then when someone does something stupid, look, and and you gotta be careful about making an example out of people, and you don't necessarily have to name them, but if somebody does something that doesn't support the culture, then you call that out as well. And again, am I looking to call out individuals and make them look like idiots? No. But to say, hey, you know, this really negatively impacted our company because we had a bad Yelp review. Why did we get a bad Yelp review? Because we treated a client, but we treated a customer bad. And here's what happened. And now we got to go and we've, we're going to give that person, you know, a gift certificate or whatever. We're trying, But why are we, why are we doing that? Let's not let that happen. That's not what we do here. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. That's not who we are. That's not how we do it. You violated one of those, right? So think about rewarding the positive support to the culture and punishing or mitigating or calling out things that are not in support of the culture.
2: I don't know if, I mean, I'm trying to think about, like, I I don't remember any, like, I guess there were some punishments, you know, meted out for folks that got in trouble before we deployed and there was some, there was some uniform inspections and things like that in tasking and bruiser, but that, that was minimal stuff. And none of that came from you, it came from the, you know, the NCOs that were trying to hold the line and it was, uh, um, but I think for me, like there was a lot of, there. it was a, it was an opportunity to educate people about why this is important and how it's gonna impact us. So like, so not knowing do we have to look squared away, we actually have to treat the soldiers and Marines that we engage with with professionalism and respect. And, you, you know, and, and if we don't do that, then we're actually going to, we're not going to actually go out and be able to operate in the battle space. They're going to assume we're unprofessional. They don't want us here. And particularly we had so many examples of special operations units that had treated them unprofessionally and caused some bad blood between, you know, conventional army and Marine units and special operations units. So we had to overcome We're actually digging ourselves out of a hole um, and even just even walking up to a senior officer NCO and just treating them professionally and talking to them and addressing them by their rank and, and you know, uh, it it just that right away, like immediately set us apart. And I think you did a great job of educating us about why, about why that's important and how that was going to impact our ability to go out onto the battlefield and conduct operations and, and, and have an impact.
0: Yeah, it might sound crazy. So if you're a civilian and you're listening to this, The way it works is you have geographic areas and the geographic areas are controlled by conventional forces so for instance the city of ramadi overall was controlled by an army colonel and then it was broken up into smaller sectors that were controlled by either marine corps battalion commanders or army battalion commanders and then those sectors were broken up into smaller pieces that were controlled by army or Marine Corps company commanders. They own that real estate. They, they literally own that real estate. If you want to go into their real estate, you have to ask them permission to go in. You want to go to a party at their house, you've got to ask them. You can't just barge in there. You can't just go, Oh, I'm a seal. I'm going to go party in this house. You can't do that. It's their house. It's their land. So you have to actually be invited. Or you have to ask permission so if you act like an idiot or a jackass or an arrogant person why would they let you in there you're just going to cause problems it's obvious but if you show up and you're respectful and you treat them with respect and you listen to what they have to say and you you talk about and explain to them how what you're going to do at the party how you can help the party like hey i have the capability to set up a dj booth and play music for the party we can help out here. They're like, oh, okay, okay, that sounds good. You seem like you, you just don't go in there and start kicking in doors and blasting music. Doesn't work that way. So yes, we had to build good relationships. And yes, the, your mom taught you in fourth grade that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So what's the first impression of a battalion commander that's been in the army for 19 years what is his, what's the first impression he gets from you? It's your uniform and it's your haircut and it's your shave, period, end of story. Period, end of story. You can't help that. You cannot help that. Even though they might know that that stuff really doesn't matter. And they, we've all been taught this stuff. We've all been taught that no combat ready unit has ever passed inspection and no inspection ready unit has ever passed combat. We all know Murphy's laws. We know those things but there still is an inherent judgment that's gonna take place when you show up. And if you show up looking like a jackass, you're gonna get treated like a jackass. So, be professional. And yes, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I explained to the guys. Like, hey, we've gotta, we, we've gotta show these guys respect. And I also distinctly remember saying, listen, this company commander that you're about to go talk to, has probably been in Iraq for 16 months right now. He's a company commander. This is his second tour in Iraq, and they're doing one-year tours in the Army. So that's who you're talking to. And by the way, you know, Lieutenant JG, how, how much time have you spent in Iraq? Um, four days. How many times have you shot your weapon? Zero. So these guys have been in serious combat
2: for extended period of time, and treat them that way. Give them some respect. I remember talking to uh, main gun, Mike Bima, yeah. who was the uh, Bulldog Company commander we worked super closely with from uh, Bravo. He was the commander for Bravo Company for uh, 137 uh, of, of the uh, Ready First Brigade, First Armor Division. And uh, I was say, like I had three combat appoints to Iraq. I, I think I'd spent a total of about 17 months in Iraq, uh, total. And uh, he, he'd spent 37 months in Iraq.
0: Well, he had done, I, I, th- I wanna say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but his first deployment to Iraq, I want to say was 14 months. And it was like, you know, 2000, it was fighting 14 months straight. Then he went home for a year, took over a company, and, and now he's back. And he'd, and he'd been there already, I think up in Tal or something, for already six months. So he'd already been in Iraq for 20 freaking months in a leadership position the whole time. So... And, and then you talk about the battalion commanders, you know, you talk about those company commanders, you know I, I remember going over to Corregidor for the first time and I'm uh, meeting the, the company commander of gun gunfighter And you know, he's already like been there for five months and he's lost a dozen guys You know like these guys have been in serious sustained combat. I Mean I'm here to learn I'm here to support we're here to help you what do you how can we help you and it's it's bizarre to think that that might slip by you but you know when you're in the SEAL teams you are kind of isolated you know you're 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 in a a little bit of a vacuum in the SEAL teams you, even my first deployment was a little bit of a vacuum We're we're living on our own little camp we don't have to leave our camp for anything we're basically going out and conducting operations wherever we wanted to all we would do is as I said earlier check in with the battle space commander we would leave go back it's just us debriefing like you get then we go back we do we come back to America we do a workup by ourselves we do very little interoperability with other military units and you just get a little bit isolated so if you on your second deployment and you roll to Ramadi and you're like, kind of like I'm kind of a badass. You know, I've done 38 direct action missions. It's like, bro, think about what these other guys have been through, think about their
2: perspective. There was a, um, there was a seal I worked with who uh, was rolling out with a Marine unit um, in kind of the latter part of the Fallujah, the Fallujah battle and, mm-hmm. and uh, so he gets in the Humvee and there's a Marine, a marine man in the 50 cal. And he was like, uh, he was like, you know, he he was like, have you had space and time this thing? Like he asked a question, the other seals in the vehicle were like, yo, man, do you, (laughs) like you're, you know, we, we got, we got like a, we got like a 30 minute class on how to headspace and time a, a 50 cal. I'm like, you're asking a Marine machine gunner if he knows how to headspace yeah. down a vehicle like Day that. Day
0: 12 of the battle of Fallujah. Yeah. That guy
2: has done that thing 10,000 times. Like he'll know, know more about that weapon than you ever can even imagine. It's, it was, uh, he can headspace and time it with his pinky. <laughs> ex- exactly. Yeah. It was, uh, it was not a good look for the SEAL teams, uh, that's a bummer. Uh, but the folks around him, I think, uh, administered some some corrections but you know the back to the culture stuff though i i want to make clear man like you know we wrote in extreme ownership chapter two like it's not what you preach it's what what you tolerate so certainly if people aren't performing you know holding the standard or performing the way they should um or or uh then then yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta hold them accountable you gotta make an example out of but you never it wasn't it wasn't like a you know, this wasn't like you beating us down and saying like, we need to be squared away. It's, you actually took extreme ownership of explaining, hey, I gotta explain to you why this is important. And I think for the leaders that are listening to this, when you wanna build a culture of a high performance winning team, you don't go beat people down if they're not, their job site isn't squared away or they're not looking, they're not as professional as they should be on a call with a client. You actually need to take that as an opportunity to, you know, holding them accountable doesn't mean you just smash them over the head. Uh, it, it means that you take ownership of not explaining why this is important, so they understand how it's going to help them. If they if they, they they fall short of those standards, it's going to hurt the mission, and it's ultimately going to hurt them. You know, and and back to the construction you know, site uh, example where, you know, we're talking to leaders that I like, well, obviously, if our job site doesn't look good, that's going to affect our ability to, you know, uh, to to uh, to to win other bids you know for the for the for the next next job but the front line troopers don't they don't see that the guys that are out there working they, they don't see that so you as a leader have to take ownership of educating them of training them of helping them see why this is important how it not only helps the overall mission but connecting that thread of why back down to them and how it's going to create more opportunities for them to to win the next bid if you have a square away looking job site so i think that's just an important point to make is this isn't beating people down. And, and I was never like, oh, if we don't do this, Jocko's gonna yell at us. It was You never yelled at us. Yeah. It, it was, you explained why it was important. And then you didn't have to explain it to anybody else because I was explaining why it was important to my team and they're explaining it to each other. Some new guy shows up that plugs in as a augmentee. We're letting him know like, hey man, your uniform is l- look like everybody else's. Get, get, here's how you set your gear up.
0: Yeah, the, so explaining the why, always critical. And then it's also an alignment check because if I say to Leif Babin and Seth Stone hey we want to look squared away the reason why we want to look squared away is because the army and the Marine Corps owns the battle space and we want to do a lot of operations in their battle space therefore we need their respect and trust and the first impression that we give them is our uniforms Do you guys want to conduct a bunch of combat operations? The answer is 100% yes. So as long as we're aligned, you're like, oh, this is gonna get us to conduct operations? Cool, we're in. That's all all it is. If I don't have a why, then all of a sudden, you're like, well, why are we doing this? Well, because it looks better. That's not a reason. Or because I said so. That's not a reason. Or because, you know, even if I refer back to doctrine, which in this case is because that's the military uniform, even if I do that, that's not an answer. That's not a why. why, you know, because the book says so is not an answer, because I outrank you is not an answer, because this is the way I've always done it is not an answer. None of those are answers. The why actually has to be a valid reason, and then it makes sense, and then you then then I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to worry about it anymore, because you got it, you understand. We're aligned, we wanna go kill bad guys, this is gonna help us go kill bad guys, period, end of story. That That whole thing, I've talked about the Trump card, you, know, you have that trump card of alignment. It's like the trump card of alignment. Do, do you not wanna do missions? Because if you look like a jackass, you're not gonna do missions. No, I definitely wanna do missions. Cool, don't look like a jackass. Make sense? Yes. There you go. Another thing for culture is history. Like making sure people understand who you are, where you came from, right? the who you are part also entails where you came from. Look, it was amazing to me that the other military units, the 137, you walk into the 137, this is their temporary tactical operations center in Ramadi, Iraq. It's a freaking crappy old dusty blown out building that they squared away and you walk in there and they've got their They've got articles hanging on the wall from World War II that they went on deployment with to show what they did as a battalion in World War II. Same thing with the first, the 506, the 38 Marines. They are saying this is who, the battle streamers are there in combat with them. That is a source of pride, it's a source of history, and yes, it is a source of culture. It allows you to see where you came from. If you know where you came from, this is like when people look up their uh, 23andMe. You ever seen that thing where the dude like looks at his f- readout and he's got point zero zero two percent you know, Nordic Viking and then they just show him in his front yard he's got a broadsword and a
2: <laughs> viking helmet like,
0: yeah! That, that's, it's, it's actually, the point is, you can take that thing where you came from and you can transfer it into how you're going to behave right now. So when you know about these things, like, you know, when I got to seal team one, you walk into seal team one, the, the quarter deck back in the day, medal of honor recipients. There's Mikey Thornton. Oh, yep. That's, the, that's the goal. That's that that's the, that's the model. That's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm going to try and be. I'm not going to be that. Cause I'm not definitely not going to be that, but I'm going to try. I know what the example is. The example is you risk your life for your freaking teammate. Even when people are telling you he's dead, you still do everything you can. That's the example. So that's the culture. That's the seal. That's part of the seal culture is you don't let your teammate down. Mike Thornton. That's the story. Mike Thornton, the, the, his Vietnamese seals come back to him and say the lieutenant is dead. He's dead. We need to leave. And Mike Thornton says, negative. I'm going to go get him and saves his life. So what better example of you don't leave your teammate behind? There you go, that's it. That's the culture. So when you have a company, when you have a business, where'd you come from? Who started the company? Why did they start it? What did they overcome? Did they make it through the depression? Did they make it through? You know what's interesting is nowadays we talk to companies that made it through 2007. 2008, the economic downturn. They went through a war for them and they made it. And that's part of their history. I worked with a company in Austria that was five, over 500 years old. They, they work with metal now, but back in the day they made they made armor. They made suits of armor. And now they make chains and cables. But they've been in business for over 500 years. There's some pride there, right? Like, you're doing something. So if you want to establish a strong culture, then you need to figure out what your history is. And you don't need to be, you don't need to be like this, this ancient company. That's a cool example of someone that's been around for 500 years, but it's also a cool example of someone that, that formed in 2003, and they made it through the economic downturn, and they kept people on board, and they had to scrap, and they had to take pay cuts, and they had to furlough people, but they made it. That's part of the history, it's part of the story. Tell people so they know where they came from. If you know where you come from, it's an indication
2: of how you should be acting. You you always talk about propagate the story and and, uh, I think it's a super powerful concept. And uh, I always, you know, when I was teaching the junior officer training course, you know, when we got back from Ramadi and I went to to run that course for two years, every single SEAL officer that graduated from our, our training pipeline. Um the mandatory reading uh for, for all those those officers was uh was Basilovac's UDT seal operations mm-hmm. in Vietnam, um and then uh, uh the naked warriors mm-hmm. about the, the underwater uh, demolition teams in uh, in World War II. And I think they that to me was like just giving, you know, and, and now obviously you could add By Water Beneath the Walls, which is mm-hmm. a fantastic um uh book that captures so much of our history. I always felt like one, if people understand that they, they realize it's, it's not, it's not just about them. It's about this legacy and heritage that we've inherited. So if you go out and get drunk on the weekends and, you know, or, uh, and, and arrested, uh, and give the seal teams a bad name, it's, it's not just about you or your platoon or the current seal team you're part of, but the entire legacy that, that you're a part of it. I think it also, you know, it also, uh, just gives you like, there's been so many, uh, incredible seals that, that contributed to this legacy. And, and, uh, particularly by water beneath the wall, some of those things that, uh, you know, I've talked to Vietnam seal friends of mine that were blown away by some of the history. They didn't even know about it that, that they read in that book. Um, and when you realize like these guys just, you know, went into China and, and figured out like, Hey, how can we, what can we do to actually go and attack the Japanese and, and, and uh, offer a solution here to go and, 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 close with and destroy the enemy and, um, you know, create this indigenous army running around. I mean, all of, just some of those operations, uh, I, I always found that to just to be a, a fascinating way of of giving people not only pride in their in their heritage and where they came from, but then how can I actually contribute to this? And then how can I make sure that I, could, yeah, I I don't tarnish that legacy, the things that I do, you know, could, could contribute negatively yeah. and impact our, you know, our heritage.
0: 100%, I mean, I've talked to young seals and you know i'll see young seals at let's say on memorial day see those guys young seals up at up at mikey's grave up at mark's grave up at seth's grave you know and i'll I'll talk to them and and say hey you represent these guys now like i don't i'm retired no one cares about me you you guys represent these guys that sacrificed their lives for their teammates you represent them now so what you do reflects on them they're not, here to, they're not here to do anything else. They made their sacrifice and now it's on you. So represent them well. That's absolutely true, absolutely true. Um, and yes, propagating the story is propagating, the st- making sure you remember that history and then when things occur, when you're inside of an organization, it's, it's sort of like what I was saying earlier about rewarding, but not just reward, but how do you capture that information and let people know what you're doing? inside the organization because cultures cultures for internal right and look it, culture will bleed over and and people on the outside of the organization will see and they'll appreciate hopefully if you develop a good culture they will understand the culture inside of your organization but the focus for culture is inside the organization so propagating the story and making sure that people inside the organization understand what we're we're, cre- we're writing that history right now you're if you're part of this team you're part of the history of this organization if you're at echelon front right now you're part of the creation of the history of echelon front right now so what you do matters and what you do is gonna leave a mark and when you do something when you get this client and you turn them around and they start they start outperforming anything that they've done in the past that's part of the history of the company you did that that's you you're part of it so Propagating that story
2: is absolutely important. I was just thinking about this in the context of, you know, tasking a bruiser in our operations, Ramadi, and you know, for so long in, uh, particularly in the Iraq war, right? It was it was SEALs and other special operations, units going out at, night, at nighttime, doing these capture kill missions at nighttime, coming back before the sun was up. Um, and so that became like, oh, that's the special operations mission. And uh, and so we got some criticisms for going out and being out in the daytime because that's when the that's when the enemy was actually moving around. That's when we were able to to engage them. That's when we can engage the local populace, you know, as well. And, And that's we we've we, we found that we could have the most impact on the battlefield. We'd go in at nighttime, set up the sniper overwatches, but remain over day when the enemy was actually moving around and, and had thought they had freedom of movement. Um, and so that's when we could do the, the most damage to them and have the most impact. And it was interesting to me as, you know, as we received some of those criticisms, because we were doing something that was different from what a lot of the other special operations units were doing. It was very similar to underwater demolition teams in world war ii where they were doing these nighttime reconnaissance uh, beach reconnaissance uh, and then I, I draper kaufman i think was one of the you know the, the father of the underwater demolition teams he came from the schoolhouse uh, and i think it was was it saipan maybe it was his first uh, i think it might have been his first operations in in uh, in the, in the Pacific, uh, as he left the schoolhouse to go out there, um, it was either Guam or Saipan. I, I, don't, I, I don't remember. I, th- I believe it was Saipan, but these huge operations, you know, to take these these Japanese-held islands back, and and they're doing it in the daytime. And he was like, "This is crazy. Like, how, how can we do this in the daytime? You're going to get killed." And then the the seals that are the are the under, the frogmen, the underwater demolition team uh, that had been conducting this, realized like, "Hey, we can go out and we can do this in the daytime." They almost almost no casualties uh, as a result of swimming off the beaches. It was, it was minimal, but they were able to do a much better job of the reconnaissance and come back. And then interestingly enough in Vietnam, it was the opposite. So, you didn't go out at nighttime. Charlie owned the night, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you didn't go out at nighttime because Viet Cong were going to ambush you and kill you. And so U.S. forces would just uh, kind of hunker down, you know, o- overnight uh, in their defensive perimeters. Mm-hmm. Seals figured out, you know, we'll, we'll pretty early night. in the war, like, hey, we can go out at nighttime and actually have some impact. Um, and so, so that seemed crazy to a lot of people. But it was it was part of. I felt like we were part of that legacy in tasking and Tasking a Bruiser of like, hey, where can we have the most impact on the battlefield? Where can you know? Where can we contribute most to the mission? We we're certainly taking. Are we taking some more risk? Be out in the am sure. But there's ways of mitigating that risk, um, which is exactly what we did. Just as the, just as the frogmen did, and just as the seals in Vietnam did.
0: Yeah, and and I look at that oh, as 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 my fault. And this is when we talk about propagating the story. I didn't do a good enough job of explaining broadly what we were doing, but more important, why we were doing it. Because, you know, when 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 we got back, and I actually would sit down with someone and be like, "Dude, why are you going on the daytime?" and I'd say, "Oh, here's the reasons." And you go, "Oh, well, we had to work with Iraqi troops." Iraqi troops didn't have night vision. Iraqi troops had one flashlight per four guys and we'd give them more, but even that wasn't really sufficient. They didn't know how to use (coughs) that one flashlight. Yeah, the enemy was only out. The enemy didn't come out during the night at all, which means you could go out, walk around all you want, but you're not gonna have any impact because there's nothing there. And once I kind of, oh, and the, the conventional forces that we were working with, they had to push out and they had to control areas and you have to control areas not just during the night, you have to control them during the day too. That's why we did it. And guys would go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't do a good job while we were on deployment or or even when we got back of explaining what was going on, what we were doing and most important, why we were doing it. I should have done a better job of that. And then some some of the folks would have gone, oh, okay, I get it. And there was a couple times, like I had one friend that was in Baghdad and he emailed me like, dude, what are you guys doing? And I emailed him back like, hey bro, let me explain it to you. I should that should have been an indicator to me, but I I didn't you know I didn't catch on that oh some people might be saying what the hell are you doing and again too bad I wouldn't have read uh, Ben Milligan's book because I probably if he w- had written it faster or I guess he couldn't <laughs> have written it at the time but if if that kind of book with that kind of information would have been around I would have known okay I got to propagate this story a little bit better I got to do a better job of explaining what's going on because otherwise. People look at it from a distance and they go, "Oh, that doesn't make any sense." L- like you said, just like they said to the 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 frogmen, and just like they said to the seals in Vietnam, like, "What are you doing going out at night? Charlie owns the night. No, we own the night, and we owned the day in Ramadi as well. Like we owned it." Um, so, yeah, those are good points. Language, the language that you use creates a culture. I'm gonna go to. Uh, a little bit more about face right now. <clears throat> Here we go. The men of the 439th had no unit identity and no pride in themselves. As a first step toward rectifying this, I decided to call my hard luck battalion the hardcore, and the troops Recondos, the latter, being part, the latter being the nickname of the 1st Brigade, 9th Division, of which the 439th was a part. Just as I had in, three, in the 3-3 at Fort Lewis, I insisted on a airborne all the way greeting between 439 soldiers and their officers. So when he was at the three in Fort Lewis, he would, the, the, the enlisted guys would say airborne and the officer would say all the way. Uh, when a soldier, but in the 439, when a soldier saluted an officer, he said hardcore Rikondo, sir. And when the officer responded, it was with a heartfelt no fucking slack. At first, my cynical hippie troops sniggered over what they considered GI Joe bullshit but it didn't matter. I knew the time would come when it would mean one hell of a lot to each and every one of them. So, the language that you use starts to form your culture. The BTF is a great example. All Navy all the time, remember saying that? I do. I've had, and I always always have this stuff in my platoons. Like We'd have platoons and we'd have these things that we'd start to say and it would become part of the, part of the language, right and tight. Like, I was in a platoon at team two, we said right and tight 47 times a paragraph. You know, get your shit right and tight, boy. Hey, get, is that the right and tight over there? Like, we just said it all the time. And guess what? When you're saying right and tight all the time, that is what you start to behave like. When you say, like, like I already explained about BTF, that's what we're doing. Are we complaining? No, we're BTFing. Are we taking the easy road? No, we're BTFing are we going to be soft no we're going to btf that's what we're doing so the the idea that the language that you use is going to also formulate your culture is absolutely true i remember at um first the 506th like at the end of the meeting the battalion commander would say you'd say and they'd all go stands alone like that was everything and you're like dude this is awesome but just like he says, he's he's admitting, Hackworth is admitting, like in the beginning I knew these guys were like, this is freaking bullshit. But after a little while, you're like no fucking slack. Yeah, that becomes part of the way you function and operate. That becomes part of the way you function and operate. So the language that you choose to use and the language that you choose to propagate inside your organization, it becomes the way you operate at Echelon Front. Relationships are paramount everybody says that relationships are paramount. What what does that mean? That means relationships are paramount That means if you're interacting with somebody and there's something straining the relationship, you're gonna prioritize the relationship. That's what we're doing That's how we operate. That's what we're doing. It becomes part of the culture So think about the language that you use inside your organization
2: I think it has massive impact. It's massive impact. And you know, as I read that statement um for the first time in that copy of About Face that you gave me in, you know, January two thousand seven, it uh it really stood out to me because it's very much my experience in tasking a bruiser. You know, I'm sure there were people that are like, uh, that know, oh, they kind of rolled out. There was definitely haters and friends, like I
0: friends of mine at at Team Three that were in other task you to be like, bro, what's up with you freaking guys, dude? I was like, hey bro, you know, we're just BTFing <laughs> like what can I tell you? And they were like like make making fun of us, jabbing at us and at the same time kind of being like, damn, that's we're kind of cool."
2: <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I think that what's interesting though is I think a lot of the guys who might be, there, there was some complaining going on. Hey, we're, you know, why are we working so much harder than everybody else? I, I didn't, you know, we're going in earlier, we're staying later. Even when the instructors had said like, hey, you guys are good to go. I mean, I remember multiple times we were like, hey, you, you would just ask a question like, Hey, do you think we're ready for the worst case scenario on the battlefield? And we look at each other and be like, let's do another run, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and we would do that where other, other task units were not doing that. And so that hadn't been people's experience previously. And so there was some complaining about that initially going on, I don't get enough sleep. We don't get to go out in town or, you know, we don't get to do all these other things that they, they wanted to do. And the other task units are doing them. But the moment that like the moment that we started, Outperforming everybody, you know, the, the, as as that outperformance became very apparent, and those other guys were kind of looking in, like, "Hey, what are these guys doing over here?" Um, and the, the training, you know, detachment instructors were like, "Dang man, you guys are the best task unit I've seen come through here." You know, those when we started to hear that kind of stuff, those complaints, just, <laughs> those complaints went away pretty yeah. quickly because people took pride in being a part of a a unique unit that was able to outperform, you know, uh, everybody else. And like, hey we're bruiser. We do things different. We do things better. And it, and that translated directly on the battlefield. I mean that turn the turnover that we got of like, hey, don't go into these areas of Ramadi because you're all going to get killed. You know, and we're we're looking at how can we get in there? How can we actually get in these areas? Yeah, we don't all want to get killed. We're going to have to take some we're gonna we, we took tremendous steps that we could and to mitigate the risk to our our forces But if we knew that if we went into some of these areas that nobody else could get into uh, That we could actually have some massive impact on the battlefield um, And 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 so we took pride in being able to go places that other people couldn't go. Yeah
0: Two things number one <clears throat> This is our perspective Right, and, and here's why I want to point this out. You can hear what we're saying, you can hear Leif saying like, dude, we were tasking a Bruiser, we were better. We were working harder. That's our perspective. Look, were the other task units working hard? Hell yeah, they were. They were freaking getting after it. And let's say they were working harder than us, which they weren't, but let's say they were. <laughs> let's say they were. Let's say they were. There was some other other freaking outstanding freaking dudes in those other task units, 100%. No doubt. Just freaking outstanding guys even if they were working harder than us, guess what we thought? We were working harder. Like we were, inside our world, we had a strong level of confidence that we were outworking and outperforming everybody else. So that's a positive thing. What are we gonna watch out for? And what did we watch out for? Freaking arrogance, all the time. Like letting, letting that task unit bruiser thing become a, hey, we're better than you, is is what you have to watch out for because if we're better than you and, and I think I'm better than you that That means I don't have to work as hard as you that means I don't have to train as hard as you That means we don't need to plan as much as as you that means we can just we can just make things happen Because we're a bruiser. No, it's not like that. It's actually the opposite of that It's we're tasking a bruiser which means we have to work harder Which means we have to prepare more which means we have to plan more which means we have to do extra runs It's because we're tasking a bruiser that we have to do more it's not the opposite. So be careful. And you know, we were talking about this, and I've actually used this, I've been, been talking about, about this a bunch now, this, this idea of being in stressful situations and how you prepare for performance and how you gotta prepare, you plan, you rehearse, you visualize, you, for, you, you don't worry about things that you can't control. And ultimately at the moment, of just before the moment of execution, you have to get a little bit cocky. You have to get a little bit cocky. And that's the way that I operate. It's the way I've always operated. As humble as I can possibly be until I put my night vision goggles on or until I lock and load my weapon, then watch out, cause I'm a bad motherfucker and I'm coming to get you and you're not gonna be able to do anything to me. That's what's happening. Or like jujitsu, like I'm training my ass off. I'm training my ass off. When we, you look at me like, hey, let's roll and we clap hands, all of a sudden I'm gonna get you. Like that's what's happening. I'm not nervous, I'm not scared. Like, oh, what's gonna happen? So. So having that humility that then you can lean into, all right, it's go time and now we're confident and that's what you're doing. You know, we used to do that with fighters. Like you get that fighter, you're getting ready, getting them ready for a fight. They're getting their ass kicked in the beginning of training camp. You're, you're making sure they're getting their ass kicked. You're making sure you're bringing in fresh people. They're kicking at They're getting their ass kicked. They can't get up. They can't get off the ground. Their striking sucks. They're behind. And then as you get, closer and closer, they're doing better and better. By the time you're a week out, they're kicking your ass, whether you whether they can or not, honestly. And I'm not trying to look, I'm out of the business now. I'm not training fighters anymore. But you don't want to kick a guy's ass three days before he gets into the cage against a world-class dude, because his confidence is not going to be there. So you're going to you're, you're going to let them build that confidence back up. Just like a dog, you know, a working dog. When you have a working dog, an attack dog, an attack dog never loses a fight in training. They never lose a fight. They don't even understand what that means. When that freaking ben, uh, Belgian Malinois comes at you, it is ne- when it's coming to get you, it has never lost a fight before, ever. It's coming, it knows 100% in its mind it can win. When you come to my house and I have Odin, my German shepherd that weighs 120 pounds, He's never lost a fight before. He's never had a bite that didn't take someone down and stop them. He doesn't understand. You have a gun, a loud gun, he's been through that where that's not gonna stop him. He's heard that loud bang before, it's not gonna stop him. So what you have to do is you have to be prepared to die because these animals, they've never lost. So as you're going through that mental, cultural formation, you wanna have them humble, you wanna have them work, but then you also wanna teach them, hey look, we, we win. That's what we do. Clutch time, we win. What happens, when a, what happens when a player or an individual gets the reputation of like they're a go-to guy in the clutch scenario, Michael Jordan? He's, oh, who are you gonna give the ball to? You give it to Jordan. When he's feeling good, what are his chances? They go up astronomically when he's feeling bad, or if he missed a couple shots, and now his game is off. Like, I mean, Jordan's the wrong person to say this about because what Jordan does is ah, I blew that one, but watch this. He he'll, he'll refocus. He learned how to do that to go. Oh, I blew a shot. Cool. Watch this. We used to see this. You know, you see somebody shooting head plates, right? You got, standard drill. You got to shoot six head plates. You're going against me against Leif. So beep the the, the 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 timer goes. I pull out my weapon, crack one, crack two. I miss a shot. I've been shooting head plates all day, and I've been shooting head plates for fifteen years. I miss a shot. Oh damn, I missed it. Oh no, life's gonna beat me. Uh, oh, cr- miss another one. Miss another one. Miss another one. When you miss a shot, you got to just be like, whatever. I meant to do that. Crack. So, getting your culture to have that nice level of humility all the time but then also being able to flip the switch and be able to execute as a team extremely important extremely important you actually want to have you can actually work with a team where you know like uh starting up the vehicles there's something about that i always found when we'd say uh starting vehicles in three one start them up and all the Humvees would start at the same time you knew at that moment in time you were an in sync organization that was about to go just do whatever we got to do to win because it everything everything fall you've been running around you got planning you're doing this you're looking for your radio all this stuff is going on and then you get in the vehicles everyone's loaded up mount up mount up mount up in three two one start them up and it's like a mental thing that's going on and everybody feels it so think about what you can do with your team where you can activate their confidence, where you can tell them it's go time. You get done with a brief, and what's the last thing you say to them that's gonna get them in that mode where they're gonna overcome? That's
2: what we do. I, I think those things are directly related. And I'm getting fired up when you're talking about starting the Humvees. I mean, it, it's just that there's nothing, like when you've got a uniform group and everybody's in sync, um, you know, and we talk about the, the dichotomy, right? Of balancing confident, but but not cocky. You got to be confident, but you can't be cocky. And so when you're talking about, uh, whole, you know, like never getting arrogant and thinking like, oh, we're the best. Um, I, I actually, I think that what gives you the confidence to go and execute when it's go time on a combat operation. And I've never, you know, I've never fought in the UFC or been a bit of professional MMA fighter, but I, I got to imagine it's a similar deal is is that you have put in the work, right. you, you have challenged yourself, you know, and I think what made us good at tasking a bruiser was that, that we were, we would critique ourselves harder than anybody else. And right, you know, when, when I was used to the, the training instructors really picking us apart, you know, uh, going through the workup cycle of like, yeah, you need to fix this, you need to fix this, you screw that up they didn't they didn't have a lot to say when we were done debriefing ourselves because, you know, for the most part, because we were just eviscerate ourselves about all the things that we actually needed to work on. And and so that was, that enabled us to push the standard. We're always looking to get better in everything that we did. And because, you know, that's why we talk about humility is the most important quality. The leader, constantly scrutinate, scrutinizing ourselves about like, hey, are we actually ready for this worst case scenario? Can we actually get better? Can we improve? And because we pushed ourselves that hard, and, and and because we were humble, and because we we put in the extra time, and the extra work, and the extra preparation, it gave us the confidence to go and execute um, in a way that that I th- I think those are directly related. So, you know, I, one of the things that really stands out to me is I mentioned earlier, like the training instructor said you guys are the best task unit I've seen come through here. And, and so, you know, when you get assigned to train, train detachment, this is what, like a three year tour, typically two or three year mm-hmm. tour for, for most of these guys. So they have seen a bunch of different task units come through. And I remember very distinctly say, don't ever say that again. Don't ever say that again, my guys. Yeah. And you, you didn't take that as like, oh, thank you for saying that. No. I appreciate it. You actually were, upset because you knew that that's the kind of thing that would make us cocky and now we think we're awesome so we don't have to train hard we don't actually have to push ourselves hard which is then going to make sure that we get our that's going to set us up for failure when it's time to actually roll out operations for real and uh and so i i think those things the harder that you're pushing yourself in training the harder that you're preparing the more discipline that you have um you know in those training procedures it gives you the confidence to go and, and, and execute well
0: yeah yeah you can definitely set those things up properly where you can learn to flip that switch you can learn to become a little bit cocky in the just a moment before execution and it's something that i i and what i remember telling you about it oh you know, cuz i told you about it at, at total archery challenge right cuz here we are at total archery challenge i'm shooting my brand new bow which you know you got to get used to a new bow right you got to get used to it it's i got different cams on it it's a little bit you know feels a little bit different and so you're getting used to the new bow and i this was only like my third time shooting
2: it and which is insane Yeah, like if if you don't know anything about the total archer challenge it's freaking awesome uh, it, it's a it's an incredible experience, but it is. Uh, I mean, you're making a the first the first shot out of the pipe for us on day one on on the uh, the course that we shot was 100 was 117 yards. yards. Yeah. So I mean, this is a that is a bomb. that's like that's like a thousand yard rifle uh, shot. Yeah, and you're taking you're going out of the pipe, and you've only shot this bow just a, yeah. a couple of times. Now look, at, at what 20 yards? Yeah, and now
0: look, Dudley. You know, this this bill is bow is built by. One of the premier guys in the world. so we're getting a high quality item, but still, it takes reps and I'm not I'm you know I've only been doing archery for five years, so I'm not like some stud at this stuff. but I had just done this podcast uh, with echo on on the underground talking about and someone had asked like, how do you handle what do you do to get ready for stress? And I talked through this whole thing, you got to prepare, you gotta and then I said, and you know what I do? At the moment, just before execution, I get a little bit cocky. And what made me think about that was like shooting head plates. You know, back in the day, you're going up. Like I would, I would never be the best shot, but I might be like fourth in the platoon. You know, depending on the run, maybe I'd win one thing or two things. But I wasn't gonna be like. There's always gonna be a guy that's just freaking awesome shot, right? But you know, when I was com- w- w- time to walk up, the- this is the co- calling it competition. I just almost called it competition, but it is. You're like competing, like okay, you and me, Leif. And I at the at that moment I'd be like, "Cool, I'm gonna kick your ass!" Like, pff, life sucks. Like I'm gonna, d- and it would just be that enough to be like, just it's enough to let go of the the of the pressure and just be like, "I got this." So we're at total archery challenge, and I had this in my head the whole time. So every time, and these are freaking st- stupid shots, hundred yards, freaking seventy, what was that, seventy three yard freaking white rabbit, like, and you and me both hit that bad boy, but. Like, I'm walking up to the line, like, watch this, like, step aside. And it really did help. I, there's the best I've ever shot at TAC, and it's the least prepared I've been. The le- it was the least prepared I've been at TAC and the, and the best I've ever shot. And it's because I consciously now was telling myself, watch this. Oh, you got this. I'm going to smoke this thing. Leif's going to look like an idiot when <laughs> I get done with this. Like, what do you got, Dudley? Like, just all this. And, and you know what? know you can see Dudley do that too. You can see Dudley has a little switch that flips where someone will talk shit to him, and all of a sudden he looks like a little bit different, and you're like, oh, he's gonna murder this target. I had a guy that was a, uh, I was on a ship with, and, you know, I was a radio man. This guy worked in the radio man, radio room, and you know, one we're talking because I'm building relationships. I'm talking. He's like, yeah, you know, I played I played double A ball or triple A ball. Which one's higher? He was like just underneath the major leagues in baseball. I forget which one is AAA, AA, but he was just underneath the major leagues in baseball. And you know, in the Navy, I don't know if it's like this in the Marine Corps, but in the Navy, every, just about every dude could have been, you know, a contender. You know, could have been a professional. Could have been, you know, had scholarships. But blah 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 blah. So I'm figuring he's one of these guys. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I'm trying. I'm going to try again when I get back. I'm going to try and make another run at it. He's like, do you, can you catch for me? And I was like, well, I was like, dude, I suck at baseball, but you know, I got a buddy. And as a matter of fact, it's the same buddy I was talking about earlier, the visor wearer. And I was like, hey, one of my buddies is a sick athlete and I'm sure he'd do it. And so he goes, yeah, meet me up. And I, I hooked them up and he the guy traveled with a catcher's mitt just so he could pitch because he's a pitcher. And so I walk up with my buddy because this guy's gonna meet him on the flight deck and pitch to him. And dude, this guy's a, Kind of a dorky looking radio man like stuck inside all day pale white like and he comes walking out and he's got like a baseball hat on and the fat dip in and he looked like a totally different person and i was like oh this dude's this dude's a badass and sure enough like i couldn't have caught the pitches that he was throwing he's just ripping those things at 90 miles an hour so that little bit of confidence at the moment of execution is, is a powerful thing and it lets you Get into the mode of it. I think it lets you let go of worry, right? Because you're like, oh, what if I blow this shot again? Freaking Leif's gonna make fun of me and Dudley's gonna think I'm an idiot and the freaking Photographers here like all that stuff could be going through your head or you just be like Are you filming? Cause you're going to want to catch this
2: <laughs> you know what here's, I mean? here's a free lesson. <laughs> yeah. Shooter McGavin yeah. yeah.
0: So that's
2: a, that's a good thing. And it doesn't just work for you. Yeah. You let you let me in on that little secret, uh, right after you made this ridiculous <laughs> shot. I think it was like, it was like a, it was like an 84 yard bomb through like two trees. And I think I just shellacked one of the trees <laughs> and uh, cause everyone's like talking smack over my shoulder. Cause that definitely gets in your head and you, you got up there and, and, and there was smack talk coming at you too. And you just, you just slid it right in there, and freaking nailed the target. And I was like, that was a freaking money <laughs> shot. And you, you said, I gotta let you in a little sick. And as I thought about that, I'm like, that's, that's a really powerful thing because it really there, there is something in it when you're, when you're second guessing yourself at the moment of execution, it does not help you oh, at all. Um, yeah, terrible. Second-guessing yourself about whether or not you're fully prepared in in the weeks and months up to something, sure, that's great. great. Push yourself yeah, positive. hard, but in that, in that moment of execution, to be able to clear your mind and execute with confidence, I, th- I think it's a really powerful tactic to yeah. employ. And and for instance, right now,
0: I could be like, "Yo, I shot so good at tack. You know, I'm freaking good to go." That's the vi- that's the disease of victory, right? That's like, "Oh, I'm good to go." That that's what I I. I I will not do that. I'm going to shoot even harder than I ever have because these are sort of like my months getting ready for September right now. I could easily go, oh, you know, I'm freaking kind of dialed this year. You know what I mean? It'd be so easy to do that, but that would, then what will the results be? The results will be freaking a disaster on game day. So don't, you got it? once you switch that on, and when you're done, cool, go back to, just like we go on an operation, we're confident going out there, maybe even just borderline a little bit cocky, we get back, what do we do? What can we do better? What mistakes do we make? How can we improve? So you gotta flip that switch, little bit of, little bit of confidence, up the confidence a little bit, as soon as you get done, go right back to where you were. Humble, start working. Uh, I think this is the last thing I wanna talk about when it comes to, when it comes to culture. And that is what I call material items. And we've talked about it a little bit already. These are like, these are the t-shirts, these are the patches, these are the, the, the uniforms, the material things that represent the culture and unify the culture. And I got a, another uh, piece in here from Hackworth. And you know, this is a part, of, it's a part of About Face that I haven't talked about too much. And this is when, when Hackworth is in Vietnam, he stood up an element that was called the tigers and there's a bunch of controversy about them. They ended up with like war crime charges after he left. I haven't gone into much detail on my bottom, but they're a huge part. It's just, it's just one of the many parts of About Face that there's, you know, 850 pages in there and I just haven't covered it all in the podcast. But in, in one of those things, he talks about this. Uh, this, he was also very fond of snipers, which, Is where I got all my fondness for snipers so he he had set up a a sniper program in one of these battalions he says this as with night hunter the daytime sniper program was tremendously successful the result of it all was that the snipers like the Tigers before them in the 1327 became my pets I called them my little babies and showered them with attention and recognition for their contribution to the battalions efforts I even gave them their own uniforms, camouflage, tiger stripe, with the added touch of black berets with a red Ricondo patch sewed on. So, what are you doing? Why is Hackworth doing this? Why didn't Leif, and his little arguments to me with Seth, when they'd come, why didn't they pull it? See, they, if I give them about face, they'd be like, hey, Jocko, Hackworth said patches, good to go. I would have been like, mm, you know, good point, let's do it. But you know they didn't quite get there but that's the thing and you know we, we also write about hey it's not about what you hang on your wall it's not about the powerpoint that you make but you have to remember that these material things are not just words they're part, they can become part of your culture they they can absolutely become part part of your culture so things like t-shirts things like baseball hats things like patches Things like coins. I mean, there's people that are obsessive with coins or with patches or with baseball hats or with T-shirts, all these things. And you can make them mean something. You really can. My uh, kid, my son, went to a camp. It doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, because it was freaking outstanding. J-RoB intensive wrestling camps. And at J-Rob, you would the whole goal is to get this shirt. Get a t shirt, a freaking t-shirt that says, I did it. That's what it says. You get a t shirt that says I did it. You're not guaranteed that t shirt. And they have, they grade you the whole time. There's demerits you get. You have to, you can't miss so so and so stuff. Like it's 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 hard to get the shirt. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's you're not guaranteed the shirt at all. My kid had a like a badly sprained ankle going there and it didn't get any better while he's wrestling three times a day and doing conditioning. So the last thing you have to do to get the shirt was you have to do a 12 mile run. And there's no time limit, but you just gotta complete it. And so I was talking to him, and his ankle's been hurting the whole time, and he's been taping it up and everything and trying to push through. And now he's gotta do a 12 mile run on a bum ankle. And I'm talking to him at night, and I said, you know, how are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm doing okay. And I said, "How's your ankle?" And he says, "Oh, it's hurt bad." And I said, "What are you gonna do?" And he said, "I'm gonna tape it up so it can't move, and I'm gonna do that fucking run." <laughs> and sure enough, he went out there, you know, whatever, and knocked out that 12 miles on on that on that bad bad uh, leg. Why? Because he wanted that T-shirt. He wanted that T-shirt. And so, what are you doing? What's your culture? What are you you doing inside your orange? I mean, think about getting a trident. Like, it may not seem like a big deal, you know, but when you were young, man, like that's a big deal. You get your trident, (sighs) eagle, globe, and anchor.
1: Oh yeah. What's up with that, dude? Yeah, so all through boot camp, you can't wear the Marine Corps insignia on your uniform outside of the one that's stitched on the cover. and on graduation day of boot camp, your drill instructor hands you your first Eagle Globe and anchor that you can wear on your uniform. Do, and it's a big deal.
0: Do they give that after the crucible now? I believe so. Yeah. I think they've
1: changed it up since. Because I've seen a bunch of muddy there. dudes with tears in their eyes. Yeah. Get that EGA, boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not opposed to that. You yeah, know, I, the crucible, I think, was a week or two before you, you graduate boot camp. Oh, okay. So it's right there at the end of the uh line of training. So I, you know, that, that seems appropriate to me too. Plus the, the level of like, just in the game you are after the crucible too. I I can definitely
0: see that. Yeah. Well, this is like, (laughs) that's, that's the call, right? Yeah. You get them, you got them freaking broken down. You got them uh, fatigued, sleep deprivation, emotionally freaking at their lowest. then you roll in with that ega and a hand salute bro (laughs) yeah
1: you're ready to rock and roll usmc semper fi i I will say that at graduation when i got mine uh it was pretty powerful because you've got your platoon with you you've got the people in the stands you've got family there and stuff and Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty powerful that way too i will say
0: yeah yeah pretty legit so what are you doing are you making patches? Laif Babbins over there making freaking patches for tasking a bruiser.
2: Like, yeah, I mean, I think if it, it means something, right? It's if they just handed you an Eagle Globe and anchor, it wouldn't really mean anything, but you know, you actually, Hey man, you went through the, the, the toughest boot camp, you know, of, of any U S military service. Uh, I think that's pretty generally widely accepted that Marine Corps boot camp is uh, sets the standard there. So it means something, man, you go through buds, you know, and then uh, SQT and graduate, get your, your tried. I mean, it took you a, year and a half to get that thing you know uh at with a 70 80% attrition rate like it means something and i think that uh when you create something around that it's part of that unique identity it's part of that unique culture it gives you some idea of like hey we're we're different we're separate i think that's what it was for us um for the patches really that's why we violated your order there's not too many direct orders i've gotten from Jocko, uh ever uh and are certainly not not uh I don't. I don't recall any other time where I've directly violated the order that you told me. Uh, but when Seth and I came up, w- you know, w- with uh, this idea of like, hey, we should get some patches made, you know, when I threw it out there to him as an idea, I didn't actually know what he was going to say. I-, I thought he might be like, dude, Choco said, no man, we can't do it, you know. And and it's and he was like, dude, we got to freaking do it, and and we did it because. And if I think about, I never really, I didn't really give it a lot of thought at the time about dissect why that was important to us, but it was important to us because we knew that this was a unique and historic unit that we were a part of. We wanted to have that identity. We wanted to actually go have some impact on the battlefield, you know, and and I felt like a unit patch would be really important to that. So um, I, I think, you know, when you're thinking about building the culture of your team, you know, what are those things that you can do? We've seen some of our clients, you know, where they, they've got stickers for their hard hats, you know, mm-hmm. that they're, uh, and you gotta earn that extreme ownership sticker. You gotta earn that cover move sticker. You know, when, when you actually do something that sets a standard, it means something um, and you get recognized in front of your peers and, and, and put something like that on your uniform. I think that gives, that just creates part of that culture so that people know, this is what the standard is. This is what good looks like. I want to aspire to actually get that. And, and uh, I think it's, it's a very powerful thing. I I don't remember the exact quote by Napoleon, uh, but he he said something along the lines of, it's amazing what a man will do for a worthless piece of of cloth. Mm -hmm. When he's talking about a, a, a ribbon that's being awarded to you for your valor on the battlefield, you went and put your life on the line, or even maybe even gave your life and you're getting recognized with this kind of worthless piece of cloth that actually costs nothing, uh, or, or, you know, and, and yet this is the public recognition of, hey, here's what I did to actually earn that thing. I want to earn that thing. I want to actually be special. I want to be unique. Um, I think there's something really powerful in that.
0: Yeah, and, and you can, this is the cool thing. You can create this. You can create these kind of things inside your organization, and all these things that we're talking about will help you create A culture a strong culture it will help define who you are what you do and how you do it and if you have a strong culture it is one of the most powerful things that you can have inside an organization so build it and protect it that's culture Uh, speaking of building we're trying to build up, right? We're trying to get stronger. Always, always trying to get stronger. If you need to get stronger, you're going to need the right fuel. We recommend you use Jocko Fuel. <laughs> get yourself some mulk. Get yourself some Energy Drink. What do you? What flavor you got over there, life?
2: I got. Uh, I got a little sour apple sniper right Jack, now representing Jack. for JP to That's the, um, yeah.
0: Sour apple. I'm on the tactical T train, which Carrie has entered the train. You, you're on board the train.
1: I'm on board the train. What officially. happened? So I've been going through kind of cycles. Mm-hmm. I was on the orange train yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And then I got on the pink mist train okay. for a little while. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, And now the wave is the, the fifty fifty tactical yeah. under, Rated, underrecognized,
0: underrecognized for sure. Yeah, and it's because we we made the flavors better. And like, I loved the old one, but some people didn't love the old one, mm-hmm. and maybe they shied away from it. But if you like, if you like that Arnold Palmer, yeah. and let's face it, bro, let's face it, an Arnold Palmer, whew, a it's, good Arnold it's Palmer time too. It's I think, summertime. I think that might be
1: playing into it. It's, it's July. Yeah, it's July.
0: Know? We're going summertime. Arnold Palmer. Salute to Arnold Palmer. Salute. He was like, hey, give me some tea, put some lemonade in it. That's what we're doing. So good call. But I said, yeah, I, that's, that's, if I'm out when I'm drinking, when I'm drinking, that's what I'm drinking. Like if Leif's like, hey, let's go get crazy tonight. I'm like, cool, I'll have an Arnold Palmer <laughs> at the bar. Right.
2: Tastes freaking good, man. Actually, so. what you normally order is uh, iced tea, unsweetened iced tea with a shot of lemonade. Yeah, just yeah. a shot. Just a shot. Man. Shot of lemonade. I gotta, I gotta say though, man, the the 50 tackle is tasty. Obviously, Citra Psycho is mm. my flavor and that's my go to. But I love to mix it up, and uh, it's uh, that's that is a close second. There, I, so I usually so rotate so. between that fit the fifty fifty tackle, Citra Psycho, and uh, like pink pink mist. Yeah, and the. The Dak Savage is always these good are too. all
0: good, man, and it's nice. Like you could probably figure out a rotation, like working out, where you're like, look, tactical tea, tactical tea, tactical tea, pink mist, tactical tea, tactical, <laughs> tea, tactical <laughs> tea, tactical tea, citrus psycho. Like you could figure out a good rotation where you're yeah, just
2: in Texas. It's been freaking a hundred degrees, so like the yeah, the ice cold fifty yeah. fifty is Good. I tell you what else is good. Ice cold is the tropic Thunder. Yeah, really awesome. It's just freaking tasty.
0: Yeah. So anyways, jockofuel.com, get yourself some mulch, some RTDs. God, those things are good. And they're, look, honestly, they're a little too convenient, right? They're a little too convenient because you got that RTD and you know you can get 30 grams of protein in 14 seconds. Just get jacked. You're just, let's go. There's a little bit. When you have to work for it a little bit, when you gotta get the shaker, you know, when you're doing that whole gig, maybe you, but when you got that 30 30 grams at a cap twist, ah, boom, it's going down
2: the hatch. It's awesome, but it actually, I mean, man, if I've been tracking the macros and it's, Unless you're just gonna eat freaking ground turkey and bison all the time. Like it's it's hard to hit that. You know, it's hard to hit that freaking two hundred grams of protein. Uh, and those RTDs are awesome for that. Just hammer one down post jiu-jitsu roll or coming out of the um uh, the CrossFit gym.
1: It almost feels like cheating. You it know, does. But, because it's supposed to be harder to get protein. Yeah. You, that's it, true. It, right? That's true. Meat <laughs> mixing up the milkshake. It, yeah. it almost feels like it should be harder. Weird. have
0: you ever done because this has sort of become sort of a protocol for me
1: get done like
0: on a Saturday Sunday w- wake up lift run come to jiu-jitsu go on the way to jiu-jitsu which I know is technically cheating kind of maybe a little bit get there train get done Milk cookie milk. there's 44 (laughs) grams of protein done like we're done and you know What's interesting about that is then you're you feel full you don't feel and this is after a workout run and Then jujitsu like this is a lot of energy expended So you're gonna be hungry But you go and get that much protein in you and you're like, oh, I'm good to go which means the afternoon You're not like just food coma from a freaking slab of meat in a bun whatever, you know, what I mean that'll put you down You'll be like, yo, <laughs> you're like Sunday after Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, you got podcast to prep and you're like looking at the freaking computer and it's starting like the eyes are getting heavy because you just ate whatever, a, a pound and a half of freaking meat. No, you're feeling it. you're just like light stomach. Boom, 44 grams of protein. Good to go. That's that's my recommendation. It's my recommendation out there. Uh, yeah, jockofuel.com. Go get it. We got everything that you need. We got joint warfare, super krill, vitamin D3, cold war, dude, time war, time war. I got being out on the road. Jocko Live got a lot of reports on time war. Just that that redirection of life, mm-hmm. that being on step, that I feel good now, which is a which is a very broad statement to make, and I can attest to it. Like oh I feel good now. That's what I feel like. So check it out. We got it for you there. wah uh, Wawa, you can get it at Vitamin Shop, GNC, we're in the military commissaries. I was telling some military folks the other day, just just grab one. We're on, we're going in the exchanges right now, like the NEX, which is a big deal. Cuz I know all you freaking 24-year-old Marines, you're not shopping at the commissary. All you 18-year-old soldiers, you're not going to the commissary. That's too much planning. But you're definitely stopping by the exchange. The you you know, 21-year-old sailor coming back from a, a, a three-week exercise, you're not going to the commissary. That's like a big deal. But you're going to the NEX. So we're in there. Um, Afe's, Hannaford dash doors, Maryland, Wakefern, Shoprite, HEB. How we represent? Representing strong in HEB. Tejas good times. Yeah, like uh, end caps and stuff like it's on So the reason it's on the reason that we're we're able to do that in H-E-B Is because you all down there in Tejas are just getting after it. So appreciate it same thing with Meyer up in the Midwest Same thing like you guys are crushing it. So that's a huge deal Harris Teeter another one appreciate it lifetime fitness shields and and by the way small gyms out there jiu-jitsu gyms CrossFit gyms if you want to if you want your people to get better and give them every advantage you can, email JFSales at jockofuel.com and we can we can hook you up. You can start to sell stuff inside your store.
2: That's there you go, jockofuel.com. Check it out. That's actually <clears throat> uh both still at jujitsu our Jitsu gym and, and well as CrossFit Second Wave, our CrossFit Gym. They got it, they got all the Jocko products right there. So you get done pre tr- pre workout, get uh Jump on the train, smoke so train post workout. It's awesome.
0: So we got this is this is Laif Babin protocol. You got CrossFit Second Wave, which is in Dripping Springs, Texas. Right, that's that's where you're training your physical fitness, and then you've got Stoic Jiu-Jitsu, Which, by the way, we just did a podcast with Ryan Holiday. I, I didn't even mention Stoic. I talked to him about it, but it wasn't. We weren't recording. Correct. This yeah. was after the podcast. Or we before already it. wrapped it up. Yeah. So stoic Jitsu also in Dripping Springs. Is it in Dripping yep, Springs? In Dripping Springs. So you can you can train that Jitsu. You can cr- train that CrossFit. Go get a Fran together. Go get go get an Anna together. Go get a Grace together. Go get one of those workouts. Go get it and 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 help yourself. You know, Leif. I know you you've gone through some like injuries for sure. And you know, you and I have talked about that. And the attitude is when you hurt when your back is hurt and you can't deadlift, the idea isn't I can't deadlift. The idea is I have to get back to deadlifting. When you hurt your shoulder, the idea isn't, oh, I can't do shoulder presses. The idea is I need to get back to shoulder. Get out the PVC. Get, I'm no stranger, I was talking about this with Bert Sorn. Like, I, I'll get out the PVC all day. Oh, I can't, I can't do an overhead press right now with any weight because my shoulder's tweaked? Cool, where's the PVC? I'm gonna keep, try and keep that mobility up. And this is something that i need to focus on right now because my mobility right now sucks and so i've been trying to open that game back up And it takes a while you blow it off and i'm i'm the worst i have the worst attitude stretching bores me it makes me mad i don't like it i'd rather throw something hit something choke something it's so far down on my list of pleasure in life but it's what i need to do so That's what you got to do. You got a a little issue work through it do what you can and that's the cool thing about CrossFit You can you can adapt to what's happening. Oh, you can't do a heavy deadlift right now. Okay, that's cool You can do burpees instead or you can't do an overhead press right now because your shoulders tweaked That's okay. Do a one-arm snatch with the other arm. That's working. So That's what you got to do. You got to scale these things, but the worst thing you can do is get off the bus and stay off the bus. Same thing with Jiu Jitsu. Same thing with Jiu Jitsu. You look, sometimes you gotta get off the bus, right? You go on, I just did, it was two weeks ago, I was gone for like four straight weeks mm-hmm. off the bus. Like I didn't train, I was on the road. I think I trained twice. And then I came back and it was like, I got back on a Friday night and I know what I was staring at. Cause Saturday, you know, you know what's on Saturday. So I'm like, okay. I see the bus, and there's all kinds of reasons not to get it back on. Because you know you haven't been training, and the guys are already, and you're freaking tired, and you've been on the road, and all these excuses to not get on the bus. I'm going to tell you right now, get on the freaking bus. Get back on the bus. Same thing with your whole workout program. Oh, you couldn't do something because you were tired, you were hurt, you were sick, you were hurt. Cool. Get back on the bus. Dude, my back's tweaked right now. I, I, today I posted Dealing with it. I'm sure people have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what I did? I freaking did what I could. I couldn't do my normal workout, but I went in there and did what I could. That's what I'm going to do. And it's not like I've got some major back. You've got a freaking little tweak. I'm not going to tweak it worse, but I'm I'm not going to sit around and just let it freeze up and lock up and let let, the, let the, the clock
1: keep ticking. So that's what we're doing. What do you got? And nobody cares. No, nobody cares if you've not been on the bus. Nobody noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody even, yeah. it's, you in your brain thinking yeah. somebody cares about you not being on the bus. Yeah. It's Nobody your, even noticed. Bro. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's two ego things going on. Number one, oh, now I'm going to get tapped out by freaking Fred because he's been, I've been gone. That's part of your ego. The other part of your ego is do you think Fred cares. You think that Fred's been watching and plotting on you. He doesn't care. Fred's worried about Fred. I'm worried about you. So get back on
2: the bus, people. That you know, you mentioned me having a bunch of injuries, and I think that's the the worst thing that you can do is is the not not train. I mean, I think you know the do what you can, do like you were you just can. talking about with with Peter T on on the podcast uh, that he was on with you. I think that's you got to do what you can, and that's that's been something that's game changer for me, um, and, and it gets me back in the gym. If I got to scale it or I got to do something different in the workout, like cool, no no big deal. Um, I got to tell you, man. Too speaking of Jocko Fuel products, though, if if I'm, you know, if I'm hitting that krill oil, you know, uh, or the joint warfare stuff, yeah. that makes a massive difference. I noticed that so much when I'm off of it. And uh, it, it is something that just, it enables me to keep going to get after it and, and just to stay on the path. That's, that's been a huge, a huge one.
0: Yeah. Those, those products you can, those are some of our most highly subscribed, actually, joint warfare is our most subscribed product. So people that just are going to be, they're on that, they're on that train. There's a reason for it. It's exactly what you said. When you go off of it, you feel it. So get on the bus, get on Jocko Fuel, let's go, rock and roll. Also, originusa.com. We're making stuff in America, and this is, it was very interesting talking to Ryan Holiday about this and what happened with American Apparel and you know, he understood so clearly the idea of greenwashing. Have you, you know what greenwashing is? So greenwashing is, hey, we have, we have a company, we make shirts and we give 1% of our profit or 3% of our profit to environmental causes because we love the environment. And you go, oh wow, that's really nice. Where do you make your shirts? And they're like, oh, we make them in China. We make them in Bangladesh, wherever. We're at a place where there's no environmental protection whatsoever. That's what they're doing. So they, they destroy the environment and then throw a little 1% Band-Aid on it. It's called greenwashing. It's lies, that's what it is. And we're not doing that at Origin USA. And they do the same thing with their workers. I, I read some freaking little little, uh, little uh, catalog, online catalog, and it was like, and our, and our workers earn a fair wage. According to who? According to Mao Tse-Tung, is that what we're doing? Is that who it's according to? You know, a fair wage. Bullshit. You're liars. And then you, and then you call and you try and make it sound like you're, 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 you're doing the right thing. You're not. You're full of shit. If you really truly, this is the facts, if they really truly wanted to do the right thing, if they really truly cared about the environment, if they really truly cared about people and workers, they would not manufacture that stuff overseas, period, end of story. Period, end of story. They would not do it. They don't give a shit and they try and make like they do. They're liars. We actually care about workers. We care about America. We care about the security and national security in this country and we care about the environment. That's why we make it 100% here in America. So go to originusa.com and get workout gear, get jujitsu gear, get hunt gear, get blue jeans, get rash guards, t-shirts, boots. Get what you need. But get it from a place that is actually backing up and doing what we talk about, not throwing 1% and, and, and virtue signaling that how great we are, because they're full of shit. So that's originusa.com. Go, f- it's national security by the way. It's national security. You buy a pair of jeans, you wanna help, oh you, oh you wanna protect freedom? Cool, go buy a pair of jeans. That's not, that is not a stretch. That is a fact. You are helping the national security of this country. You're helping the freedom of this country. You're helping people not be in slavery around the world. So
1: originusa.com, go get some. Also, if you want to represent on the path, go to jockostore.com. Get yourself some discipline equals freedom gear. Um, Check out that shirt locker subscription. We got a new shirt every month coming out with different layers portrayed by Echo Charles,
2: those, shirt locker, those shirt locker shirts are legit, man. So those are awesome. And there's a little cultural activity
0: going on there, right? Oh. There's a cultural activity. When I was at Joggle Live and I looked out and just see shirt locker shirts, people representing on the path, that's what we're doing. And you know, you know you can't have that discipline equals freedom t-shirt and miss a workout. You know you can't do it because it's a little peer pressure from us, from all of us, we're in the game. Get in the game, jockostore.com, go is, get
1: it. Is this a material item? It's a material item, 100%. Reinforce, yeah, yeah. The yeah, reinforce the culture.
0: Reinforce the culture. Bond with your teammates. What team are you on? We're on the get after it team. Def Core. Yes, we're on the Def Core team. What team are you on, by the way? Are you on the Slack team? Is that the team you're on? Because we're over here on the Def Core team. Get in the game, jockostore.com. <laughs> uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Subscribe to Jocko Underground, jockounderground.com. Subscribe to the YouTube. We got Echelon Front YouTube channel. We've got Jocko Podcast YouTube channel. We got Jocko Fuel YouTube channel. We got Origin USA YouTube channel. They're all all different stuff. You wanna know what's going on inside of these various worlds? Check them out, flipsidecanvas.com, Dakota Meyer. He's making cool stuff to hang on your wall. He's making material items to hang on your wall to keep you on the freaking path. We got a bunch of books, you know them all. If you need books, get them. And get those kid books. Get the books for the kids. I signed so many kids books at Jocko Live, and there was probably, I don't know, maybe a total of 20 warrior kids. A ton of warrior kids. that, That showed up, asked questions, freaking legit, outstanding. You can tell that these kids are going to do better in life because they are on the warrior kid path. 100%. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So get those books for your kids. Hackworth, we read a little Extreme Ownership today, Dichotomy of Leadership. You know the books, go get them. Echelon Front, we have a leadership consultancy. We solve problems through leadership. That's what we do. We go inside your organization. We can help you build, build culture. We can help align your leadership. We can help solve whatever problems you have. Hey, what am I talking about? What do you mean, Jocko? you can solve whatever problems we, can, we have? How can you do that? We can do that through leadership. Because whatever problems you have, it's a leadership problem. So go to echelonfront.com if you need our help in whatever organization you're in and whatever problems you're having. Also, we have live events. Next one, uh, we have the muster in Dallas, but it's sold out. Yes, we right. just posted, it's sold out. So Dallas muster. Next one's gonna be in San Diego, right, Dago? We're coming back to, to Jocko's AO. My area of operations. If you want to come to one of those musters, uh, check it out. Echelonfront.com. We also have the FTX. JP's running a bunch of those back to back down in Texas. We have Battlefield coming up. I think it's sold out. You can check. There might be a couple spots left for Little Bighorn checking out that Battlefield. <sighs> a lot of lessons learned there. A lot of lessons learned. And then also we have the Women's Assembly. We got Jamie Cochran, the COO of Echelon Front. She is running a women's assembly in September, September 14th through 16th in Phoenix, Arizona. And if you didn't hear her on the podcast, one, when she initially said she wanted to do this, I was like negative because the the, the principles are the same. But what I realized, I looked at it from a jujitsu perspective, and there have been many, many, many women over the years that didn't want to get on. They, they, they didn't connect with what that jujitsu thing was. They didn't want to get on the freaking mats with Carrie Helton or Jocko or Echo or Leif that look like mm, I don't know what's going on, but I don't think that looks that's not that's not for me. But that women's class, all of a sudden they go, oh, okay, I see that. I see what's going on. Oh, there's something you can learn techniques. Okay. And then once they come in the women's class, then they start to understand jiu jitsu, it opens the door, next thing you know, they're choking Carrie Helton. Yes sir. That's what's going down. So same thing here. An opportunity to check these things out from Jamie Cochran's perspective. Uh, she's an outstanding leader across the board in her own right. So you can go learn from her and some of the other women on the Echelon Front team. We also have an online training academy, extremeownership.com. These are skills. Leadership is a skill. And it may not seem like it. And if you're, it may not seem like it, just like it may not seem. Like fighting is a skill like you think oh I can just when I see red no one can beat me No, they can beat you As a matter of fact a 140 pound dude that knows jiu-jitsu Can beat you but I'm 210 pounds. Yep, and you'll get beat you'll get choked out These are skills leadership is a skill and it's a skill that you use in everything that you do It's a skill that you use even if you are the lowest ranking person in your organization you're still in a leadership position because you have to interact with your peers and you have to lead your boss. And even if you're the lowest ranking person in your organization, guess what you still have? A girlfriend, a boyfriend, a wife, a husband, a couple kids, a little league team, the parent-teachers association. You're interacting with other people. That's what you're doing. And it is an actual skill to do that. And if you don't have these skills, you don't know what you're doing and you're gonna get choked out by a 140 pound individual. Don't let it happen. We've got two new courses on there. What um, are they?
1: The read back and the debrief with you and Carlos Mendez.
0: Okay, there you go. Two new courses. And listen, I said this on the last one, at a minimum, at a minimum, please go and take the free courses that we've got on there. Go and take the Extreme Ownership Framework. Go and take that course so you can understand. This is gonna help in, in everything that you do. In everything that you do. This is like, I'm gonna give you $6,000 cash right now. What if I was like, hey, Kerry, is this gonna help you if I give you $6,000 cash? Yes. Leif, can I give you $6,000 cash? Is that gonna be helpful to you? Break it on. Is that gonna help some part of your life? You go and take this free course, just take $6,000 cash, put it in your pocket because that's what it's like. You all of a sudden, you're gonna get help. You're going to be able to help with the things that you do your life is going to get a little bit better maybe it might even get a lot better there's people that have there's people that when they when they when they see extreme ownership and they actually comprehend it there's people that it doesn't just change their life a little bit it transforms their existence i just met 30 people like that during the live events 30 people that came up to me and in 28 seconds said that this information transformed their life, transformed the way that they are living their life. They got promoted, they kept their marriage together, they got a better relationship with their kid, on and on and on and on. So at a minimum, just go take those free classes. They're on there, please. I'm giving it to you, please take it. Don't want anything else from you, just go take that because it's gonna make your life better.
2: Extremeownership.com, go check it out i think one thing i love so much about the extreme Ownership academy you know these online courses they're they're interactive you know and they right. dive so deep into these principles people you know loved extreme ownership and these concepts that are in there and yet we're, we break down each chapter you know with a course there and all the the other courses that come out the debrief course you know and and the relationships course all these other courses that, that uh the readback the course that we released it's breaking down some small detail that got mentioned in the book, but really expanding on that and going deep and then talking about how it applies in a real world scenario. And we do those, those, those uh, role plays where we talk about what to do and what not to do, which is sometimes the most helpful thing, you know, to learn. So uh, I think those, those courses are, uh, uh, I have, I have been deeply impressed by the amount of information that can be conveyed and how you can actually test someone's knowledge about whether or not they, they understand it, you know, through these courses. So definitely it is a massive resource. As you've said, it's probably the, the best kept secret we have at echelon front that extreme ownership Academy is, uh, this is something that can absolutely change the game for you to help you understand these principles and how to apply them in your life. Yeah.
0: Extremeownership.com. Go check it out. That's all I'm saying. And if you want to help service members active and retired, you want to help their families, you want to help Gold Star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got an amazing charity organization. We know, like everyone at this table right now, Carrie, Leif, myself, we know personally people that have gone through Mama Lee's programs and it has transformed their lives. So if you want to help a veteran, go to... America's Mighty Americasmightywarriors.org and donate or get involved however you can. And also don't forget about Micah Fink. He's up there with heroesandhorses.org. What's the latest report?
1: Um, I believe Micah did a uh, flying backflip off of a cliff edge to spear a grizzly in the back of the neck to save a couple of children on the trail.
0: Okay, so this is like a normal day for Micah Fink. He's just out there uh, doing what he's doing. Seriously, he's up there taking our veterans and first responders up into the wilderness, and they are reconnecting with their souls. It's an incredibly powerful thing. He's an incredible guy. If you want to help him out, heroesandhorses.org. And if you want to connect with us on the interwebs, we're on there. Leif is on Twitter, at Leif Babin. He's on the gram, at Real Leif Babin. He missed, missed out, huh? You blew it. You a little late, a little late to the game on the gram.
2: Actually, I think, uh, I actually think that um, back in the day when uh, when you were view you know, me get social media mm-hmm. and uh, my wife Jenna and our now COO Jamie Cochran conspired to launch your, to to launch your your uh, mm-hmm. social media for you and your in even though you're vehement against it, I, I think that there was one launch for me at that time on the gram as well. Oh, and you which now it. no one knows the the, the login. Hat. So so I'm real life babbin'.
0: So you're at real life babbin on the gram. Are you on Threads? I'm not. Okay. Carry. Speaking of late to the game, carry <laughs> with the underscore. This is like a. This is like both you guys. That's like a. Uh, that's the red badge or what, the scarlet letter, right? The real Leif real life, Babin. That's scarlet letter underscore. Scarlet letter. <laughs> I'm over here talking <laughs> shit. I am because guess what I got at Jocko Willink. That's it. You can't even mess with me. You can't mess with me. I got it. I was in the game and I wasn't even in the game yet. So there you go. How you like them apples, underscore?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm officially putting out the word, at Carrie Hilton, I'm coming for you. So, so I'm not taking this from Jocko. So <laughs> do you think at Leif Babin actually exists? It
2: does, yeah. And you think you might have it? Uh, I mean, if I got at Jocko Willink, you must have gotten yeah, at Leif Babin. I think it was launched at the exact same time, uh, mm-hmm. but it was uh, <laughs> This is a was bummer, dude. too difficult to recover. Yeah.
0: Uh, are you on threads? Yes. Okay. So we got
2: in the game. Are you? Are you
0: underscore? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It's it's connected to the. Instagram oh, I know. Provost, so you're yes.
0: connected to that underscore. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> That's got to be a
1: bummer. It is kind of a bummer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just always having to throw that in there just eats it. Constantly
1: yeah. reminded.
0: <laughs> so you're gonna try and you you coming at Carrie Helton? I am. You, do you reach out? Who do you? How do you do it? I the last time I just
1: DMed the guy. Yeah, did he respond? Nah, because he he hadn't been active in like you know years on it or something. So maybe he just left it.
0: Just just squatting on your soul. Squatting on the dude. Keep keep that underscore, bro. Gives you gives you character. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, you can't make it cool, bro. You can't. (laughs) All right, yeah. If you want to connect with us, that's where we're at. Just just be careful, because as Leif pointed out. I used to be vehemently anti social media and I still kind of am because I recognize that there is an algorithm in there that's powerful that's that the smartest group of engineers they could assemble get together every day and figure out how to make you spend more time on that thing that's what they want that's what they're begging for that's they're manipulating you that's what they're doing so it works, we know that people get addicted to it. We don't want that to happen to you, so just be careful. Just be careful the algorithm. Keep your, uh, watch your six, because the algorithm's sneaking up on you. And thanks to all the troops that are out there in uniform right now holding the line. Thank you for what you do to protect us. And the same goes to our police, law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, dispatchers, correctional officers, border patrol, secret service, and all you first responders out there, thank you for holding the line here at home and to everyone else out there. Just remember that the way you act and what you do is who you are. Who you are is your culture, your personal culture that's how you live your life so be someone you can trust be a fighter don't allow any slack at all instead be a hardcore recondo. let that be your culture let that be who you are let that be what you do and let that be how you do it November Foxtrot Sierra
2: And until next time, this is Leif and Carrie and Jocko out.